What's up, everyone? Welcome to another segment of The Vault. And yes, we were not done with the story, so I have him back in. Mr. Craig LeCicero, back in The Vault. Good to have you in. Great to be here again. And now your spider's cool to me, so... Everything's good. I've, I've made friends with your dogs See, and your spiders. I know. The dogs are no problem. So, hey, man, uh, so many great comments, so many great things from the first interview. People were really riveted on on the story. Um, uh, thanks for telling us all that. I know we have this whole second part left to go. We left off there and for the whole reason. So there was a couple of things we're going to touch on, though. That, that, yeah. You know, well, first of all, thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> it's like sitting on a couch. It's like a metal couch getting fucking this stuff off my chest. But I think the reason why people even care, I mean, I can't really tell you specifically, but maybe it's because a lot of this history was buried. You know, like a lot of the stuff with Forbidden in particular just never quite got out there because of the timing. So we were a, we were a band of like just being behind the time you know like we're just well you know i did read a comment that somebody said wow i've seen interviews and new bits of pieces but i never really got to know the forbidden story like this and i think that that's the case with maybe some bands not necessarily by with us because there's so much press on mm -hmm. exodus and you know it's been that way from the beginning but for you guys you know you really kind of have to search for it, especially now and there's a lot of new fans that are interested in forbidden and want to know you know you the legacy is there bro yeah you know? Yeah, no pun intended. Anyway, it, it is it is really uh, it's an honor, man. I mean, I, I people say things like, "Oh, it's humbling," and it is kind of humbling because you just you don't even know that many people care, and you know, and and your your show's just get it's coming up, so those oh, things will exist for a long oh, time. That's the greatest as you, thing about yeah, this. You, as you you build this is your, timeless material for anyone. You know, in two years you can see your interviews that we did, and people are still going to get you know the history out of it. That's why I think well, it's uh, I suppose a, I suppose a forbidden fan is fucking dedicated and loyal, and so this right. is kind of interesting to them. And I'm trying, to, and I just wanted to reiterate a couple things. I'm trying to tell the truth the way i remember it some of my timelines of like month here month there like that's who the fuck am i i don't like well, I that's get, why i, I, I keep asking you, give me a flip. timeline but i just want an estimate basically just to just to you know like ah, i was probably around here around there it gives people a good idea of oh, what they were doing at that time it gives you kind of relates it to where well, well when craig was you know getting out of high school man i was just getting into high school i just could already graduated so you know it kind of puts them in a in an age perspective of how we, we were doing this and when we were doing it so well, yeah i you mean you don't I, have to be perfect on no that, i mean when you start when you're 15 everything's kind right. of a blur and i and i really didn't start growing up until like mentally i didn't really start growing up until after forbidden ended but the last thing i want to say about those interviews um as i, I want to say i never got to really say that how good matt camacho became because Matt is a fucking killer bass player and underrated. And what's funny is that he just wasn't really appreciated as much when we were in the middle of it because he went from just learning how to play bass to having to play the shit we were playing, which was fucking hard. Hardest shit I've ever played still, you know. And it was all insane music. And the guy, you know, so Matt was like catching up. But then he caught up and then he got really fucking good. And I want to make sure everybody knows. And when you watch Matt play now, 
that he took a few years off and came back, he's fucking great. Like, Matt is actually a better bass player than I think he's ever been right now. I, I think, I don't think I would ever envision Forbidden without Matt. I don't want to envision makes, Forbidden without Matt. I makes any sense, or Russ, yeah. you know what I mean, for yeah, that Matt matter. and Russ are, are you know the, I mean? the, the so. pe- people like to hang on to, well, this guy from that era and this guy from that era, that's great. And, you you know, you have your favorites. Like, we all got our favorites. We have, like, our favorite albums. We're nostalgic. We like things. But Russ and Matt are the two mainstays. You know, we're the OGs. Russ and I, technically. But Matt was sure. right there from 1986. And, I agree. and was never not there. I agree. You know? So he's important as anybody in that in the I whole story. I would miss bet his head banging if uh, even. Yeah. I would even, miss when, even when he was bald. Even when, yeah, I don't care. I would still miss it. We, we, when I he went to that, it there. We we did a tour later, you know, and, and he came showed up to rehearsal a couple of days before with a shaved head, and we're like, "Whoa!" You know, like before that he had short hair, then he shaved his head, and I was like, "Dude, you look like Tupac for sure." Yeah, you know, like yeah. it was it was pretty funny. Anyway, so yeah, let's uh, let's move on. What do you want to talk about first? I'd say let's uh, let's pick up right where we were, right as uh, you know you were getting out of Forbidden, and then it went to Man Made God, and you had a lot of experiences, great experience with Man. You you know you worked with Rick Rubin, you know. So I want you to just talk about that and do basically what we're it's boop, rolling. Let's go yeah, all yeah, the no, way. I, to, you hit it on the we're head. Gonna, we're gonna bring it up to dress the dead. So. Uh, Let's go. Well, this is another, right? I, I guess this is another forbidden history part because a lot of people don't really understand what happened when, uh-huh. when forbidden broke up because there was no real internet at the time that we were paying attention to. And, you know, as I alluded to in the last part of the interview, I, I really was looking for a fresh start and, um, isn't that a cat litter, by the way? Fresh start? Or is that fresh step? Oh, well. I but thought anyway. it was a cat food. Fresh start? Or is it... It maybe might be a douche. Like, I was just going to say it's Massingale, right? Fresh start. When that thing smells like a fish. Yeah. Well, there you Sorry, go. Guys. I was I was, I was, running away from that fishy smell that it was left behind, you know? Because at the time of Forbidden it ended, it was, it was not enjoyable, you know? I mean, we worked really hard on green. As I told you, we were going to, you know, try to attack. We, we were extra pissed off it was very focused and like caveman and then once the man of war tour was offered to us i said that was that so that's where we left off right and uh, you know so matt and steve convinced me that they're going to come along no matter what happens and uh i was convinced that i wanted to reach out to mike sullivan who played in the band level out here in the bay area which was a i thought they were fucking great i thought level was like it was exciting. I didn't really know him. I knew that he had substance abuse problems, and I thought, "Who doesn't?" Yeah, well, didn't? his were a little different than he, our friends, our acquaintances. You know, it was pretty heavy. Uh, but I, but I was, I loved his creativity, man. Speaking of creativity and substance abuses, that's not an abuse though. This is legal in California. Um, but I, th- you know, I just was really looking to do something adventurous dude and i didn't know what the fuck it was going to be i didn't know i jumped out of the fucking plane and i didn't know where i was going to land i didn't really have a parachute and we started with with this idea of me pulling in mike and then the first phone call i get from anybody uh when they heard about it was from a luster and a who i knew from vegas i actually knew him met him at a party in vegas when i was back visiting my first summer uh-huh. back we hung out i you know, I heard of pestilence. I helped bring pestilence out here with uh-huh. Marco Barberi was reaching out to me uh-huh. about you know bringing him out, and so we had a history. And uh, he was in the horde of torment later. 
And uh, he's like, yeah, dude, I, I, you know, if you're doing something new, I want to do something new. So that's what we started as. And then he's the first one to approach me with the, with the name Man Made God. And I'm like, oh, it'd be great if it was just two words instead of three, you know, because it's more ambiguous. I'm all about ambiguous and balance. And so I immediately like, yeah, two words, you know, because you don't want to make the statement Man Made God because it kind of boxes you in. Man Made God. Man Made God, all, which means everything uh-huh. it means all the things we fixate upon and what all... year is this now this is 97 this is now 97 we have it's like probably the beginning of 97 or mid, middle of 97 goodbye, and as far as you you're concerned musically forbidden this is not a direction of forbidden we are not no. going to do anything in that and we've i didn't know the, what the fuck i was going to do but not that not that and as i told you in the, in the last episode as well you know when i uh, a band like radiohead just they came into my life at the right time I never, ever tried to sound like Radiohead, ever. But I just loved the adventurousness of it all. I just loved that they weren't, you know, they could just throw color out there. And so it was like, well, maybe I could throw some color of my own kind. I'm this riffing dude. It's going to be heavy. And it was. And and when I first started uh, writing songs, I went and bought a guitar. It was, you know, I was look, looking around for new stuff. I'm like, I got to have a new sound. I, I don't want to use these these Langner preamps anymore because they sound super tight and metal tight. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. So I went looking around for amps and guitars, and I went to Guitar Showcase and bought my first Les Paul, which is one of the good ones. Like, it was a 90, I think it was a 95, which is like the end of the like right. run that Les Paul had sure. in, the, in the 90s. And fuck, man. I, I, I just was like, okay, I wonder, you know. I mean, I had, I actually, I had... Another SG that was a 62, which is technically a Les Paul for all you guitar guys. A 62 SG was called a Les Paul. It was a different one. So I started writing with that, and I just kept, I just remember, just kept tuning down just lower and lower and lower. Because I knew bands like Korn and all that stuff, but I wouldn't want to do that. But I was just curious what but would happen. Heavy. But it was heavy. So I, I ended up dropping it all the way to A. And then that Les Paul came along and then i had an identity of like the tone with the paul was better than the tone with the the sg paul and that that's where that whole thing started so everybody's like coming into practices and i'm writing these riffs and no one's guitar is ready for that you got to set your guitar up like no one was doing that dude it was like nobody was tuning quite that low like nobody Uh, not even machine head was tuned that low you know it was low and um and just some amazing things started happening with music and it wasn't until we, we pulled Mike Solomon into the room, who I dubbed him at the time Heroin Mike. I th- oh, but no. I thought I could change him. Uh, then in, Matt had warned me because he knew him. He said, man, it's really hard, dude. He's like, you're going to get frustrated some days, you know, because he knew him really well from level. And Paul Perry was in level. Uh-huh. And good friends of ours, all those good, good dudes in that band. And I, I was naive enough to know or think I didn't know anything. I see that's where I was. I didn't know anything. I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't really mature mentally. Uh, I was ready to take this leap, and then I do it with a guy with a substance abuse problem, and uh, I didn't really know what I was getting into. But what I can tell you was those writing sessions were everything I was looking for, because we weren't pre. Uh, we had no preconceptions. We had no idea of specifically what we wanted to sound like. It's just, but heavy. I mean, it obviously was heavy. heavy. Oh no, obviously it was really rock and roll heavy. And, it was you know. no rock and roll came later with that band. Uh-huh. It was really, really heavy, and it was you know it had this crazy. Mike's vocals were 
they were odd, they were otherworldly, but he was a genius. Like a lot of these guys that get into that drug, you know, like, and it, it was just this tumultuous back and forth of like great creativity. And then, you know, where's he at flakiness? Like where, where, what's going to happen? But you know, one thing that when we were writing songs, I remember one day I had something I fucking loved and I was like, this, this song is going to be, and then Mike's on, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not really feeling it. I'm like, well, you got to feel it, dude. This is fucking, this one's going to be great. He goes, you know, Craig, and he said something wise to me that I've taken to this day. And this is, this is the best part about working with Mike Sullivan. He said this one comment that stuck with me. He said, there's always going to be a million great riffs after the last one. So just file it away. I'm like, boom. My hangups were over. I didn't hold on to the idea of somebody's not inspired by something and it doesn't grab on to the majority in the room and you don't have something. You know, some songs take work. Some songs take five Definitely. minutes to write. Oh, yeah, Some sure. songs take fucking months. Some songs yeah. take years. You come back to it later. But it just gave me a really refreshing point of view of how to jump into this thing without worrying about it. So that was what was cool about Man May God in the beginning. And we started playing shows and, you know, it was like... People were like, "Whoa, you know, you don't know what to make of this band. Like, they're we didn't sound like anything with Mike singing. He had a he had a. Do you ever see him live with the old days when he had the giant effects? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, dude, it was all it was was like. But that was kind of the era with level and those kind of bands. There was era that where there's guy on stage that did that. And some of the singers did the kind of effects. Yeah, like thing, yeah, you know? like a little Perry Farrell. Yeah, like exactly, exactly. And yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. Well, all it was was like two quadroverbs. An older one and a newer one, and they just—they, I mean, they sounded bad. But he had it; it was his tone, you know. So he went with that for a while, and uh, people were just like, "What the fuck, man?" You know, he's singing cool, but those vocals sound fucking weird. Everything was weird, dude. It was—it was a—it was a cool time for me because I didn't give a fuck, and I didn't know, uh, you know, where. Like as I said, I don't—I didn't know where it was gonna land. And eventually, you were just writing. Like, how many songs did you get? Before you started landing, or, or did you go well, there's for more a to while it. before It was a minute, even... dude. We wrote amazing songs. I have cassettes of uh-huh. fucking some of my best. Cassettes. Dude, some of my best riffs, dude. And some of that you shit actually it made it into a... Record. Some of it made it into Spiral Arms, you know? Really? Like, some of it did at the beginning when I was writing most everything. That's what it did. We'll get there, but... We got to a point where we were starting to get a little attention, and people were actually checking us out. And trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Still with Mike Sullivan. And then... And this is already... We're now into 98 by now, We're right? into 98, yeah. And it, we're, we're... And you've been a band together for how long Not now? even a year. Not even a year. Not even a year. No we're, gigs yet or anything, No, we right? played some gigs. We you played... did do Our first shows. one we did was like probably Club Chaos. So we played the Coquitry a bunch. Uh-huh. We played Slims with Merv a couple times. Oh, really? Transmission okay. with Merv. We did a lot with, so you with were Mike. Playing, you were playing in that year with Mike. You were yeah, playing. Yeah, at 98 and 99. We got more gigs when... Uh, we played the Cactus Club a bunch of times. This uh-huh. with this lineup, uh-huh. and then uh, Logan and Machine Head split. And you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, "Huh, I wonder what's going to happen next." You know, I, I didn't know what Machine Head was going to do because I knew they were like there was always something internal going on with that band at that point. You know, as big as they were, we knew in the Bay Area like there's always something going on there. You know, it's like so. 
I didn't know what, what was going to happen there. And then one day, Aru comes to practice and basically tells us, you know, I'm going to join Machine Head. And, I, no, and no one got mad. Like, that was one of those moments where no one was mad. It was more like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. You know, like, but I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I've never not had a guitar player. Here I go. I'm going to have to look for a guitar player again. You know, like, fuck. And as soon as it was all done, Matt and uh, everyone said to me, no, we're not looking for a guitar player. You're going to play guitar. I said, well, of course I'm going to play guitar. You're the only guitar player we're going to have. We got a show next week at the Cocodry. You could do it. And you know what? To be honest with you, dude, that that was the turning point of me growing musically, really. Because was that the confidence boost you needed, though? You think? Was, you think dude, is that what it was? I don't know if it was a confidence boost as much as like pulling pulling the net from under you, and 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 you don't have anything to lean back onto. Like when Rue played with us, he was more of a rhythm guitar player, just held feedback and stuff. But I know, you know. That something that really uh, triggered and clicked in me was, uh, I want to hear two parts still, so I figured out how to do things with my fingers where I was playing two parts, which I still do to this day. Like I play chords that other guys don't, and if I sit down with somebody, the only band that I think even that I've seen recently that uses as much kind of the same stuff as I do is is Mastodon, uh-huh. and they aren't aware of anything I was doing back then. It was just kind of those guys just have that same kind of pull. Or they they play that's two their parts attack. The that's, that's just their, their thing. Attack. Yeah, that's their thing. So, you know, I started inventing something. I was doing something new. You know, not many people were paying attention to it at the time, but we started getting better gigs as soon as Rue left. Uh, the band started elevating, and then to fast forward it, eventually it just came to a point with with Mike where we just couldn't follow him around anymore. There's too many ups and downs, too many confrontations. You know, too many, I, I, I swear I'll never do it again. And these are the things you learn. Like with, with somebody who's addicted to right. that particular drug. Sure. It's an always well, really a Really anything, flow. but especially that one, yeah. That's the worst, dude. And, you know, I love the guy. I mean, I, I really did. But it was it was hot, it was cold, it was brutal. It was, it was Sometimes he'd get a little violent, you know, like you don't know what he was going to do. Ugh. So once, oh, <laughs> but I got to say, in the meantime... Towards the end of that run, Matt was starting to get really frustrated with Mike and music in general. And he was just starting to think about going back to school. If you remember, he went to college. He went to SF That's State. Right. He went, yeah. Isn't that when the hair got cut too, I think? Or Not at first. Not at he first. did that after he left. But he did. He, he ended up leaving. And that's where uh, I needed to look for a bass player. So <clears throat> that was, you know, I had only checked out a couple guys. One was Uriah Duffy, you know, Uriah, uh-huh. who's phenomenal, dude. And he was a young kid back then, just a thumper, just like, I was like, holy shit, this guy's fucking now, you know, he was in Whitesnake for many years, like later. But, you know, I loved him. I was like, dude, you're killer, man. Like, you should join this band. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, but I mean, only this band. He's like, no, I don't do that. He's like, I don't know how to be in one band, bro. I, I'm like, fuck. And it was funny. I just played with him last week. We were just laughing about it. I'm like, yeah, I remember when I tried to tie you down? God, I hate that. I'm, with me personally, I, you have to be tied down with me. I, if I, you're in a project with me, I need your full focus. Well, that's not always what we get. So do you, when we, anyway, if I have control, I do. <laughs> yeah, with him, I mean, you know, what was I gonna fucking say, dude? But anyway, uh, we, I continued looking, and, and then uh, I remember seeing Jimmy Walker play with Scorched Earth Policy. 
And he was also in, what the fuck was he in? Uh, Method before that. And they did European tours and stuff, you know. But I remember in Scorched Earth Policy, he had the long hair and he's fucking raging stage presence, dude. I was like, oh, this guy. I'm like, I should talk to that guy. I don't really know him. But I reached out to Jimmy and, you know, he immediately was like, I love your band. I've already learned your demo. I was like, really? He's like, I know your demo. He's like, I can come out when you want me to come out. So he's all excited. And then he comes in the door and then he meets Mike. And he's like, oh, fuck. I mean, he knew, but he didn't know. And then he ended up giving Mike a ride home that night. He calls me the next day. He's like, dude, what am I getting into? Hot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So Jimmy uh, did love the band enough to do that. So he joined and then Mike got worse. And, and the chemistry got better with James. He was so good with us. And Mike ended up, like, disappearing uh, by two weeks before we were supposed to play with Merv at the uh, – it was going to be for New Year's Eve. So, 99-2000? In coming into 2000. Uh, yeah, wow. coming into 2000, yeah. It was going to be New Year's Eve uh, with Merv at the Slims. And I, we didn't know where Mike was. So, oh, we're like, man. oh, shit, man. What are we going to fucking do? You know what? <laughs> We didn't know what the fuck. So I just said, why don't we just do the show without him and we'll just put this Captain Kirk cutout I have up here and then and we were going to hang a sign that said, you could be here. Nice. Or no, no, no. This could be you. This could be you. So Merv finds out, dude, and, and Jeff Gomes calls me. He's like, dude, what the fuck, man? I fucking heard that, you know, Mike's not going to fucking play. So, dude, you can't just fuck. What are you fucking? He's yelling. It's my best buddy, you know, just yelling at me like Jeff does. Oh, fuck. What the fuck, man? God damn it. I'm like, dude, you know, I mean, we're just going to go for it. Is it you know, he's like, dude, I don't think that's going to work. Luckily, that very same day, Mike called me again, as he would on the phone bill. Hey. It's like just like it's a super deep voice. He's all, so uh, I really want to do the show. I'm like, fuck, dude, you disappeared, man. So we, we ended up doing like one practice. And what's funny about the effect unit I was talking about. So, so Reese Roberts, who was doing our sound back then, knows that we're we are going to let mike go we're just going to let him go after this show we've made a decision we're going to find somebody else even though he called you that day yeah dude, it wasn't enough it was already it was, done yeah the, he, you're he, gonna he, let him do the show because it's better than the cardboard cutout but right right it was much better than the cardboard cutout but but reese had said to us i don't know i think the cardboard cutout it would have been well we were interesting but it would have only really been a three it was piece. captain kirk three piece it was kirk yeah i think that would yeah, have been that's, that's me all the way if you know me fucking like, cool yeah it would have been cool but mike was cooler because what happened is uh, reese made him uh or he, i shouldn't say that he, he outsmarted him and and that affects you and reese decided he's like i'm not gonna let him use that for the last show i'm just so he's back there at the you know where slims is he's back there you know I'm having a problem working this thing out. I really can't make it work, man. We don't have any more time. You guys going to be all right? And then Mike's like, it's fine. So we did the show, probably Mike's best show. His voice sounded fucking killer because he wasn't affected with two cheap effects. And then we had to let him go, you know, and it was a great show for us. And I, I told him after the show, I said, Mike, you know, I'm sorry, but we can't talk about the future because there is none. He's like, I really don't need to hear that right now. I'm like, you really do. Because there's nothing to really talk about beyond tonight. You left us hanging too, you know, one too many times. And we can't trust you, right? It's so. very sad. It's, it's very too sad. bad. And that I think that's the case when you get to a lot of fans don't know why bands can't work or things like that. And they don't understand. I mean, I remember when I took over for Paul in Exodus, 
a lot of the reason why is because they couldn't trust if he was going to be there or show up. I mean, Bailoff was notorious for that. Love Bay, loved him to yeah, death, but no, Paul had a trouble true. showing up to practice and doing things like that. And at that point in time, they wanted to move forward as a, you know as a as a professional band and a unit, and they needed guys, you know, a guy that they can you know that was going to be there and they right. saw me in Legacy, and that's kind of how that hooked up. They needed a professional. Somebody who's going to, yeah, well, wanted, who wanted it and wanted to show up. Right, right. So, so just to get off subject for a second, I was just watching video of when you guys were on the Pledgers tour playing the Astoria. Yes. Fucking killer, dude. Yes. You guys were so, dude, those guys used to yes. dart from side to side. It was fucking nuts. <laughs> Darting. Yeah, when we toured with you, I remember, like, they're darters. The process. They used to jump on the, the but day one, do a little splin and then there, hang there'd be there'd be like a you'd have a certain amount of energy the first day and then by the day five you're like kind of standing there and then day, then day six you're back on the energy. Oh yeah, day. sure. It takes it just it's a cycle. It's the cycle. I knew the cycle. You know the cycle. I know the cycle. That's how the cycle works. It's, so anyway, so if anybody uh, knew the Exodus cycle. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it was, you know, it was a cool show. It was, it was over. And then I think actually before that we were. Did starting, you have a vocalist in mind? Did you? Have you know what? That's else? what I was going to say. We we had we were thinking about doing the change, and we'd looked in uh, a couple of trades. One of my friends, Gary Metrovich, actually sent me an ad for this guy, who said uh, he was looking for a band with the power of Zeppelin and the diversity of Tool, or was it the diversity of Zeppelin? Diversity of Zeppelin and the power of Tool. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm not really a Tool guy, but maybe that could be interesting. So I remember leaving the, I like called the guy and I left a message. I'm like, Hey, you know, my name's Craig, blah, 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 blah. Give me a call back. Didn't hear from him. I was like, what the fuck? And then the show happened. And then I'm like, I'm going to call this guy back. So I, I called him and left him another message. And then he calls me back. He's all, dude, he's all the first time you called me, you didn't leave me your number. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. So you just assume that you're Stoner. Oh, wow. So it sounded like you were chewing something. I was probably chewing broccoli because I used to eat a lot of ro- uh, broccoli. I mean, I got, you know, like Stoner Craig just like slipped. slipped. That guy, was his name was uh, Mike Reed. And he came down to the studio, and we had all this music. I had started writing like a whole new batch when Mike Sullivan was leaving. And I was like, I had more inspiration than I've ever had in my entire life, dude. I had this huge influx of like super melodic creative it was still Were you heavy. writing lyrics as well with this stuff any of this stuff or was well, it just mike sullivan there really wasn't lyrics he'd make sounds you'd, uh-huh. you'd you'd cue up the mic and it could be like yeah uh, yams it was just like weird shit uh-huh. once in a while you'd say something it was weird dude it was a weird phase but uh no i i didn't start i i was taking a break from lyrics i was taking a break from that i was like looking for a front man that was going to do that for me i didn't want to do everything like i was doing in forbidden it was uh-huh. it became a burden and nothing against any of the guys, but it just became really, it dragged me down. It was just really hard towards the end. And uh, so I was looking forward to having real singers. So this guy comes in and watches us play a few songs. And this is when we moved into Jackson Street. We were in that front room in Jackson to the left, that that room that had the overhang. And the, yes, I know the, exactly the, what you're talking it, about. We, dude, we were making magic in that room. It was unbelievable, creative explosion. Even before we had this guy come in, we played him a couple songs maybe three or four songs he uses like he's like, i can't believe what i'm hearing he's like, i can't believe this i'm like can you just get up and just step to the mic and just make some noises and he wasn't super comfortable with it but he did and as soon as he started making noises with us i was like this fucking guy this guy is a fucking star 
I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, the, the purity and richness in his voice. It was very different because the shape of his mouth. You know, every singer has a different kind of thing. So this guy had something. And, you know, we, we jammed. He did that. Then he took some songs home. Then, you know, he was kind of on the fence. He's like, I don't know. It's a lot of dedication to do this. But he ended up doing it. And we ended up doing, he ended up coming back for writing sessions. I remember one, uh, don't do this at home, kids. One, we were, uh, we had mushrooms. We said, we're going to just throw some shrooms out and does everybody do some shrooms I heard tonight? they're going to decriminalize that now. Why would you do that? That's I read it in the paper the past couple of days. They're you know, actually going to decriminalize mushrooms. Any um, psychedelic hallucinogenics are now going to be legal. Dr- driving in mushrooms is well, never... Well, I mean, driving in alcohol, driving in anything, driving in heroin. Mushrooms, dude. Driving the road, on The cocaine, road's going to take a different... Name. Driving wired on crank out of your skull. <laughs> Come on, all of them. They've all got their drawbacks to them. I think, a- and I think acid and, and mushrooms could potentially be a really weird and deadly oh, for experience. For me, are you kidding? I couldn't do that right, too. Especially nowadays, I would, wouldn't even think of letting my mind go like that. Well, here's where the shrooms come in. So we're starting to write these songs and uh we're we're frying pretty hard and I, i'm starting to we would working back and forth i'd work with pan i work with james you know i would have a riff then pan would actually he's a good guitar player too it, was, it wasn't pan yet i'm sorry this is where pan happens so i'm looking at the his reflection on the wall and this is really fucking weird dude and uh, he's singing, and we're doing Swamp Water, which we just started writing this song, Swamp Water, which uh-huh. turned out to be one of our hits, if you, you can call him that. And it was it was just a magic moment, dude. And I see his reflection, and he's singing, and I see his chin, and I just see this like elongated chin, and I see horns pop out from his head, dude. And he looked just like Pan. Like, if you've ever seen Pan, the God Pan's Pan. Labyrinth, I know Pan. Yeah, Pan, he looked just like, I was like, and then after the song stopped, I'm like, dude, I'm going to look at that. He, he looks at it. I'm all, you look like fucking Pan. He's all, that's a way cooler name than Mike. I'm all, you want it? He's like, yeah, I'll just be Pan. Literally happened like that. He's all, sounds cooler than Mike. I'm, everyone's Mike. There's too many Mikes. He'd say things like, there's too many of this, too many of that. Metal Mike. Yeah. There's Metal Mike. So Well, there's just so many Mikes. Microphone, you know. But anyway. <laughs> so that was a, a, a very. Yeah, right. <laughs> Micronauts. Micronauts. Oh, God. Yeah, I had a bunch of those. Oh, we did an episode on toys. Believe me. He had them in here. Believe me. Micronauts. <laughs> fuck yeah. yeah. That's right. That was, that was my toy. It was Shogun Warriors. I'm going to fuck that. Talked about These that, These little too. Micronauts are great. Talked about that, too. That's yes, fucking awesome. Yes, we did add a toy guy in I'll go back and look ago. through that. Yes. Uh, so anyway, so, you know, I, I this is really only the beginning of a really cool thing that happens because once that moment happened, once we realize there's true magic, like not there's true magic. And I've only felt that a couple times in my life, dude. It was then. And it was later on you know, with forbidden. We just had chemistry. It was crazy, but it wasn't like magic. I knew what magic was that moment with man-made God. When we started playing shows and people started seeing us with pan. It was, and, we're, and we're in 2000 now where we're we in the year, two, the year 2000. Yes. In the year 2000 summer. Uh, no, like probably winter. Okay, like so coming at into the end, January, no January, so no January t- of two thousand. Oh, January two thousand. We have him in so the band. So right after Mike left, you got you you kind of. It was immediate. Like like a couple days later, he was in the studio <laughs> jamming right with away. us. And then we agreed. And then that all these songs, dude, just dozens of songs, dude. I've never written more songs because that group was Steve Jacobs, 
and and James Walker and Pan. It was just a four piece, and it was like we were on fucking fire. That room we were in in Jackson Street helped lend to the fucking magic. And I knew there was ghosts in there, and Faith No More wrote Angel Dust in there, and all these things were happening in that room. But there was a sound all of a sudden. It became more cohesive. The experimentation wasn't so much there anymore as I had a, a style now that wasn't my forbidden style, but it was a new style, and, I, and it was my own, and nobody else had it. And, you know, that was where it would start, and then all these fucking wonderful things would happen. It wasn't... We only did a couple showcases. I mean, we were down in L.A. We played, like... I'm thinking, where, where's that one on a... So when did you start gigging again with him now? now it wasn't long. Was we were gigging a, a couple, couple months. months later, yeah. A couple months later, you're gigging. Yeah, we did like Swiss Park in Fremont. We uh -huh. did like, I know we did, I think we did Club Chaos. Again, we did the Coquetry a couple times. We we got more shows with Merv, you know. We, uh -huh. like they, we were being offered really cool shit. And, but it all happened relatively quickly, Steve. It's just, all of a sudden, you know, uh, we recorded demo. And we had Eric Kretz, who from Stuntable Pilots, co-produced it with Pat Coughlin, um, who produced Distortion and Green with us. And we went to like San Luis Obispo. And once we laid that demo down and heard Pan sing to the mic, uh -huh. and everyone was just like, like, holy shit. Like, this is fucking real. This is a rock band. This is like, you know, had that bad company kind of like real kind of tangible magic to it, dude. And... It didn't take long, dude, until every fucking label was jumping at us. And it, it was a weird time because I never in my life had I felt so confident in something that I didn't really give a fuck where it ended up going. You know, I, I wasn't sure what label we were going to be on. I, I was like, I don't know, man. It's like whatever's right, you know. And then I'll never forget. We, we get a, 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 I guess it was a letter from Rick Rubin saying he wanted to come see us and he's going to send somebody out. And um, this is we had actually done another demo. So we had two demos combined by then. And that one was done with Brian Joseph Dobbs, who ended up engineering our okay, album. So now two demos down the road. Two are demos, you, yeah. Where are you, you're still in 2000? We're 2000. still in 2000. Um, well, coming towards the end of it, though, right? Coming towards the end, oh, end of 2000, coming into 2001, maybe even the very beginning of maybe 2001. Beginning so the beginning of 2001... Uh, we're, we get this, you know, I guess letter from Rick Rubin saying, you know, he's interested in the band and he wants to send somebody out. And then the phone calls happen. We had Cole Gill, if you remember Cole. Yes, was, I do. He was helping us. Yes, he was managing us Cole. at the time. He was, yes, I do. He was our day-to-day -day guy. Right. Because we didn't really have a manager, but uh -huh. he was like, I trusted him. So <laughs> we're like, okay, well, that's cool. What's he done? My first thoughts, what's he done lately? And I'm like, I don't know. What's American done lately? I like the Black Crows. Slayer was cool. They're, you know, I, I just had this attitude like, I'm not impressed, uh -huh. which is really weird now. But I wasn't. I was trying to keep everyone's, you know, like we don't need to worry about where we go yet. But this guy comes in to our studio. They send somebody out, right? And we're there waiting to have this guy see us. We know it's Americans coming to see us. But first this guy walks in and he's all, this is so funny, dude. He's all, is this where the band Man-Made God is? And we're like, yeah. He's all, I'm the limo driver for Dino out there. He's all, I just want to tell you guys, from what I just heard, something wonderful is going to happen in here tonight. I'm like, 
what the fuck is that? Who sends a limo driver in to say this shit? I'm like, that's weird. It, it, did he preempt him to say that? No, he did the limo driver no. said it on his own? He said it on his own because he was talking about the band on the way over. It, what it turned out happened is that he wanted to make sure it was the right place. He's like, could you go in there and make sure this place is shady? It's Oakland. He was like, this is shady. Oh, I don't yeah, want to walk in the wrong building. So he said, he said the fucking Street limo shit. driver in. Yeah. It's a fucking studio in Oakland. What do you expect? Yeah, smell like fortune cookies too, right? Well, that because that's cookie right shop there. Yeah, right it's there. cookie shops right there. So, yeah, it's confusing. You know, it's dangerous, but it smells so sweet. It's Oakland. It's my home, baby. <laughs> so, uh, Dino comes walking in, and he's this little, he's this very svelte guy with little black glasses, little, you know, well camped kind of balding, all black, 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 down to the bottom, black, head to toe. Johnny Cash style, as we figured out later. I like that. Because American. Johnny Cash is on American. So we start blasting through songs, and we're just fucking killing it because we don't care. We don't care. We're not trying to impress him. We're not. We're just being ourselves. Just don't care. He's tapping away, dude, on his little fucking Blackberry. And then I ask him after a few songs, I'm all, are you talking to Rick? He's all, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. He's all, so here's what we want you guys to do. I'm like, oh, you want to talk? So we stop and we talk. I said, we need you guys to gather what gear you want to bring, and we're going to fly you down to Los Angeles in two days. I'm like, what? He's like, we're going to fly you to L.A. You're going to play for Rick. I'm like, with our gear? He's like, yeah. So you our drums? He's like, everything you want to bring. So we brought everything but cabinets. They sent... Every fucking thing we had but cabinets down to L.A. to showcase for Rick, which we did in a fucking one of those big rehearsal studios. I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the larger ones where they had like kind of benches that went upward in there. S.I.R. something like might that. might have been an S.I.R. Because they, they have one everywhere. Few, yeah. They have one in San Francisco, uh, L.A., Chicago, and New York. Yeah, they're all over the place. I'm not yeah. sure if it was S.I.R. Studio like that, though. But, but Kratz came, too. And, you know, he wanted to be there because he was a big part of the band. This, this Stone Temple Pilots, Eric Kratz, what we're talking about. He was always really instrumental, like, from my, in my history back then. He was very helpful. He loved the band. We were really good friends. So he shows up before Rick shows up. But this is, the, this is a great story. And I'm going to make this real fast. We loaded in. We did sound check. We ordered Thai food. All right. Uh, Steve goes to the bathroom. I was going to say, why did you do that to each other? You know, Steve goes to the bathroom. Rick shows up, walking in with a couple of his dogs, a couple of his assistants, his beard, and, you know, there he is, his, his aura. And we're talking, and I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'm really excited to see the band. I can't wait to check you out. You know, I want to see what it's all about. And we're like, where the fuck? Where's, <coughs> where's Steve, man? We're like, we hear the bathroom fan. We're like, Steve, you in there? Oh. Dude, Rick Rubin's here. Rick Rubin's here, and Steve's having the shits in the bathroom. So we're like, dude, you got to come not out. a good idea. Dude, it took like almost a half an hour to get him out. And he walks out. Everyone's like, and we're just like uncomfortable. We're hanging with Rick Rubin. Yeah, Ass sure. on fire? Yeah, we're, yeah, well, I think he was like throwing up out of both ends. Kind oh, of thing. my. So this is our drummer, the most physical guy in the band. So he's got white as a ghost. We've already had kind of like uncomfortable small talk with this guy that we weren't trying to really overly impress. But once you start sitting next to Rick for a long period of time, I was the only one who really had much to say to him. Everyone else is kind of just like, eh. and then, of course, uh, Eric Kratz, you know, he's like, what are you doing here to Eric? And Eric's all, dude, I'm here to watch the pe uh, paint peel off the fucking walls. 
you know and he's oh okay you know so that was that impressed rick a little bit so anyway steve comes out fuck man he looks like hell and rick's like, are you okay can you do this he's like, oh i have to right you're like oh wrong answer but okay so I have to write. Yeah, like I don't have, like I don't have a choice. Oh, he feels horrible. <laughs> no one's blaming him, dude. It's just right. Like, it was bad timing. It was, it was a bad choice. Well, for all of us, it was a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. food but I didn't fuck audition. with anyone else. He, he had the bad, you know, whatever it was. So we proceed to fucking blow through the set, and we do great, dude. We had a great set. And How many again, songs you played? Do you remember? I think we played like ten. So you did pretty much a full set, dude. We had was it live performance? We had thirty, we had 30 songs by room, We had over thirty songs. Were you in a room surrounded, like you were on a stage playing, like you were playing? It was, a very, it was not really a stage. It was like they had the, the seats. It was like a benches looking down but on it us. Was it like a rehearsal studio? Like when we go to rehearse, we walk in and the the guitars facing this way and the drummers there. No, we were all I mean? facing towards him. I see. And they had us going through the PA. Uh-huh. They had a guy mixing the whole thing. And so it was fucking, pretty sounded, much a live performance. Yeah, it sounded killer, dude. It sounded killer. And I was doing the low tune stuff, and I was also doing stuff just to drop D. It was like, it was, it was, it was real true fucking, it was just enough metal, but it was rock and roll. And, and Rick fucking loved Pan and me and our chemistry. So immediately, as soon as we're done playing, you know, we go walking outside, and he's, I'm talking to him. Like, hey, man, so what is American done lately? I say, gave him that whole speech. I'm like, it seems like you guys haven't really done anything viable or what's going on now with rock. I'm like, I know. See, I see you got Johnny cash. I see all this. He's like, you know, he's a, no, it has, you know, we've done a few things that are more obscure. Uh, we just did a band called Caius or no, it wasn't Caius. I'm sorry. It was, uh, what was that band that came out of Caius? I'm fucking blanking their name. I'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. But anyway, we just did that. And you know, it was American Head Charge, and I still do Slayer, but I'm executive producing. I'm all, well, and this is funny. I go, well, it seems to me like you could use us as much as we could use you. And he's all, I think you're right. I'm like, so you want to do a deal? He's all, I think we should. I'm like, that was that simple, dude. I'm like, all right, and we'll get. We're still, we're, we're, we're in 2001. Maybe we're in the beginning, beginning of 2000. Well, maybe, yeah, beginning of 2001, within the first couple months, dude. And then within two days, you know, Eric Kretz gives us, uh, Eric Greenspan is a lawyer. Greenspan has done, like, you know, he did the STP contracts. He did Chili Peppers contract. He did a lot of really, really big deals. So within two days, we're negotiating without a real manager, with just Cole Gill for, you know, a lot of fucking money, dude. Like, it was about $350,000 on the first run, right? So, lifestyle change, uh, we think. We think. You know, people, you get to pay that money back. Uh-huh. They give it to you, but remember, right. you get to pay it all back one way or another. Recoupable, baby. All, anything you do. <laughs> don't think that you get three hundred and fifty grand and life is fucking... Oh, dude, wait till, I, wait till I tell you, you what really... You might think that. Wait till I tell you what we really spent. So, this whole fucking thing starts, dude. We're all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we go from not caring, thinking it's gonna be all right, to fucking now you're negotiating with Rick Rubin to be his most prized fucking band. All right, the 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 the, the standards were set high, dude. People don't realize a lot of this, and I understand why because by the time our album came out, we were almost broken up because so much had happened between this magic moment, this this amazing time. And 
the next thing because all of a sudden we're negotiating for this huge amount of money we get you know what we want we get everything we want we get the amount of records we want we get all everything's laid out there perfectly we still don't have a fucking manager but you got a great lawyer so we start pre-production and we move out of our room and all of a sudden moving out of jackson street felt fucking very alien we didn't know exactly that why felt did you weird. do that well i wasn't going to mention it but when we were in jackson street uh there was a lot of envy as to what man-made god had going on and uh it, it got really weird in some cases and we basically got ousted out of the room so another band could realize their dreams and i don't want to mention anyone's names because they're all my friends but at the time it was like they're like you it's time to live our dreams bro like one of those moments like like this room is that important like it was dude that room was really Uh important and and that was made us comfortable we if we would have done our pre-production in that room we would have had a better experience going into the studio than we did but we moved into uh we moved into Soundwave for a while. We were on one of their uneven floors and, and recording everything on Pro Tools and still writing new stuff. It was still killer, but it just felt different. And then we end up doing getting going down to L.A. and doing pre-production, and we're in another one of those gunny sack rooms. Uh, I think How much time is elapsing now? That you guys not, it's not long, dude. You're, you're saying pre-production. Are you talking two months, six weeks? No, man. Well, I think after we had the deal in place, we were already starting to do pre-production. We had Brian Dobbs along with us. Uh, as as producer slash engineer and rick was uh you know executive producer but he was super involved with us dude well i hear the horror stories about rick never showing up he wasn't like that with us we spent time at his house but you know that's one of the first things we did when we went down to la is we went down to his house we sat there we talked about everything we listened to music sitting on his couches i was sitting right underneath the big bear if you've ever seen pictures of his fucking i don't think so his library is like it's 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 got this amazing fucking view of looking over into hollywood and then you know it's it's all it's it's the shit it's like it's the shit it'll it'll completely fucking you know you get svengali the fuck out of that place (laughs) so we were you know living this fucking dream and 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 it just didn't seem real did it just seemed so surreal but we're sitting there in his room having pre-production meetings and uh this was a pivotal moment this is what we, we call it the watershed moments in the last episodes watershed moment we're listening to a song and it's a pretty busy song drum wise and he and he stops the cd and he turns around and he looks at steve he goes steve he's all metal drumming bad for this band he's all you can't always hit your toms you can't you sometimes you gotta lay it down you know like boom bap boom boom bap and that wasn't something we were doing. We were writing all these super big, spacious riffs, but we were kind of taking the space with a lot of other shit. It was still stuff left over. But that fucked up my brother Steve's head. That fucked up his head. Do you think because um, he's such an iconic producer and coming from somebody like that, um, um, he feels that he felt maybe that, you know, you're, you're, you're stepping on my creativity as far as it's going. This is who I am and this is how I speak my part. And it does work if you listen to the songs. And, and were you guys thinking that as well? Well, we kind of tried to stick up for him, you know, and then he, he made a, he made a, hey, he made a case. He made his case to us about space between the riff and letting the vocals lay in the pocket and not uh, having a Tom hitting between every vocal melodies all you're gonna have times for that 
He's all, those are the instrumental times. He's like, your vocal times, we need to pull back some of this if you wanted to sound as good as you want it to sound he made his case what did you feel about that though because you're basically the songwriter here so what did, did you think rick was you know overstepping his boundary there or did you agree with it or you could see it either way that was the first of many compromises and it wasn't the bad one but the way it affected steve was bad you know i i, I, well, I guess it would be a little bit of a bad one if it did affect steve it that did way, dude right? it, you know it it, it, it fucked him up well into the future you know. and then the entire recording process when we we're in the studio actually making the record and you know uh you know brian this is another thing rick rubin was not in love with brian joseph dobbs really because he was canadian brian worked with uh bob rock he's bob rocks uh-huh. one of his two right-hand men he was the main engineer and he's from uh he's actually from regina Vancouver, Regina, like that, all that whole northern, not well, Regina's way up north. But anyway, he had a different kind of personality than Rick likes. Rick really likes assertive and, you know, like you know, gravitas. He likes, you know, Rick's the guy who's completely straight, who hang, likes to hang out with people with drug problems because they have an edge, right? You go through history of the people he really hung out with, and he was straight, and just, they were they were fucked up. So he didn't really vibe on Dobbs at all. So we had this whole push-pull with Rick and Dobbs where Rick really didn't want to talk to him, so the notes were going through this guy, Dino. And then, you know, here's it was just this weird, it was all... Wow. This is, so all the communication sudden, process is not yeah, Rick what it should be on the level that these guys are doing their jobs at, basically. Yeah. Oh, I just dropped. Are you okay? Yeah. Do you want to bring yourself back up? Back up. And he's back up. Well, am I? No, you just pulled the little there thing. Yeah, see? Now I'm back up. There you go. But anyway, so yeah, it was a... Uh... My chairs. <laughs> They're very good. These are high-quality chairs. Thank you. There, there was a lot of like... Uh, it was the beginning of a lot of communication problems. It was the beginning of losing the essence of what we were to begin with because there was so much floating around it. And dude, I could spend a long time talking about it, and I don't really think I should, but I'll just, I'll just go to this. Um, the recording of the album was harder than anything I've ever done. Not for me personally, because every fucking track I did, everything I did, dude, Rick loved it, and it was fucking easy. But it was all the other stuff, because when the drums changed, then the bass changes. Because everything we did was locked in. Sure. James and, and, and you know Steve had written... James writes incredible bass parts. To this day, he really does. You can sing them all. They're all a separate song. So there's a whole change that happens and all this stuff. So we just had a lot of this fucking... You know, last second changing stuff. Pre-production lasted about a month or a month and a half uh-huh. down in L.A. And then we started doing the record. And then we'd record up to fucking, you know, 20 takes of a song with all these different, not just one way, like Dobbs would come out and give him a bunch of notes. And we got these notes from Rick and we'd send music to Rick immediately. Like as soon as we'd recorded something, we piped it to him digitally. Then he'd get right back to us and these detailed notes. I got a whole box full of notes uh. from Rick Rubin, dude. We had a box full of them. And just it was let all the about, songs go and be what they are, you know? Well, you're it was now, you're all now, you're about now. drums. It was all about Even drums. Even so, it's rock and roll. It should be Well, that's what simple. he kept saying. It's rock and it's roll. Rock, it's, okay. it's not metal. This, this, was, this, was, this was the tumultuous point with him, dude. This is like, he's all, I love the metal influence. He basically loved the, the metal I brought to the band, and he wanted that to be the metal, and he wanted everything else to be crystalline and fucking audible. And, and the end result was fucking pretty Not undeniable. Like yeah, yeah it's like it's, it's, really it's cool, but it's, it, there was some energy sucked out of it through this whole process. So, 
which brings me to while we're in the studio recording i get uh i don't remember if it's a phone call or a text but they start talking about doing the thrash of the titans thing for chuck i'm like oh that sounds awesome i'd love to be a part of that um but i don't know if i can yet because i don't know it came up relatively quick like thrash of the titans I think I heard about it when we were doing pre-production. Then when we started recording, it all came together like fast. They called me to do a legacy show. It went from, and I, the first thing I said was, Chuck's cool with that? They're like, yeah, Zach, they just want to do a, um, um, a benefit legacy show. Would you do it? And I go, yeah. And then when I signed on to it, they started growing, and then it turned into what it was, which actually worked, excuse me, worked out for everyone. There you go. But, you know, fucking... I, I got really excited about the idea of doing it, but I was like, I don't know exactly when I'm going to be recording or if I can come down to rehearse. But there was like conversations between me and and Russ and Paul, and we had Glenn ping-ponging between us, and he ended up causing all kinds of shit. It was just, he tried to take the whole thing over. And I you know, I told him, I said, listen, dude, I, I probably am not going to be able to do it because I'm going to be in recording my guitars that very week. And it was like $1,500 a day lock in you know yeah i know when you lost to lock yeah out. it was yes, a big it was a sure big is. fucking studio um and you know I, I said i don't think i can do it i'm like, so but I'm like, you got to handle this like don't piss everyone off man you're like you're not in charge dude you, this is i'm i basically backed out and said i couldn't fucking do it eventually and whatever happened is kind of between those guys but i remember hearing all the secondhand stories and paul again was fucking furious and uh, he Paul was made to not even. He didn't even open the show. I think that uh, when Forbidden Evil started, what they call it, Forbidden Evil, which is ironic. But Paul didn't. Uh, he had that guy Jeremy who played with Steve I. Glenn, I didn't Glenn even, had him I didn't do it because Paul because Paul couldn't be at rehearsals because he was busy with Slayer yeah, up I, until I, a certain day. But the so that Glenn got offended. So there's this whole thing that happened when I wasn't even around, dude. And everybody assumed when the show came came around that. I just didn't want to be there because I didn't want to be a part of metal, which is the biggest fucking insult. Cause I remember the day of the fucking show, dude, I was, I probably finished my guitar tracks around five or six and Alice was visiting me down there. And I was like, fuck man, if I could only been there to rehearse or just be a part of any of that, I would have fucking been there. And I told that to Dino, the guy from the label and Dino's all, Hey, he's all Craig. It's, I'll never, I'll, these are the moments that stick in your head. He's all, it's, it's small potatoes, Craig. It's, it's not, it's small. I mean, no, it's not. It's my fucking past, and it's Chuck Billy, and it's a cancer. I'm like, dude, it's anything but small potatoes, man. But I can't be there, so it just feels weird. And Alice is like, I understand. You know, Dino's like, ah, oh, it just doesn't matter. He didn't understand. You know, he just didn't get it, what we have. Right. Which, well, if you're not in the fraternity, and you're not aware of the fraternity, yeah, I mean, you don't know how the fraternity works, you know? Well, labels, you know, back then, too, they especially were ready to bury every era in the past oh, and move on. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I was a part of the burial big time. Yeah, yeah. Every, well, we all were. And, and, you know, I. but I mean, look at my look at look at all this transpired so far. All Whoa. this forbidden stuff. And then all this, you know, and then the beginning of Man May God. And then here we are in this fucking what's, you know, suppo- like the ultimate dream for any musicians to have all these things around you coming together, which they were. But there was like so much stretching us out to our limit as far as what we could handle. We were living in the Oak Woods. We were, you know, I mean, I, I got, I had my pill problem at that point. 
Like it's the first time I can get that much Valium or that much. Like, why would you ever want all that? Like everyone had a problem. We all had problems. We yes. started to live the dream, dude. Yeah. We're, we all had problems. But we were living the dream, bro. This is what we we're what still living we, the dream. We thought we were living the fucking dream, but it, it wasn't the dream we, we perceived it would be. But at this time, you know, we were still recording a record. Uh, we didn't have management. We still didn't have management. Did you still have Cole? Cole was the guy, and we considered him our day-to-day, but we wanted him to be the day-to-day to help management company, whatever one we wanted. So here's where it gets really weird. So we're, st- we're still recording the record. Uh, we, you know, we're doing this all on our How own. What was the recording process? Craig? Oh, dude, How long was that? I mean- it probably went from April or May of 2001 until the end or beginning of 2003 because vocals. And I could tell you that story. Okay, so too. it wasn't like uh, you guys just didn't go in the studio in six to eight weeks and drums and bass no, and dude. record and boom. No, no, dude. No, dude. Because that drum thing's changing. So. But once we got all that drum shit done, uh, you know, the bass and the guitar was relatively quick. But it was like I was in a kid in a candy so store. So wait a minute. For your, your, for, from 2001 to two. It wasn't the whole time straight through. I was going to say, because that's good. That, so that's where the money went. <laughs> it's where a lot of the money went. Living Fuck. in L.A. the whole time. Fuck. But we still didn't have management, dude. We're doing all this recording. And fucking, uh, you know. Oh, and, and Pan recorded the vocals all the way through one time. And then Rick decided, I don't like the sound of that mic. And this is another moment, dude, where he goes, where he goes, I like the performances so much. I wish I could keep them, but we're going to have to do them over again on a better mic. And I'm going to move you into another studio. He's all in pan. Just take as long as you need. And I was like, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. And he said it. And I was like, and then fuck, dude. So that took a while. But in between all this fucking shit, when we're still recording we still don't have man i gotta emphasize we still don't have management again dude every fucking manager in la wanted a piece of it our shit was getting around these roughs they did sound killer everything was it was fucking still badass dude and we didn't have management so every manager was trying to fucking lock us down and i won't get into the particulars about all these stories but i'll say that it came down to a few and Andy Gould was one of them that we were taking pretty seriously. And Doug Goldstein was another one we were taking pretty seriously who did Guns N' Roses. And he was part of Rod Smallwood's sanctuary, sanctuary. at that time. And Rod Smallwood and Doug Goldstein and Mark McCaudley's all came out and fucking got right up in our grills about managing the band. And it's like, wow, this is fucking heavy. And then as well as that, we had, we had little uh, Andy Gould. So fast forward to the day we finally make our decision. Uh, we decided to go with Doug Goldstein. I go with my friend to the Rainbow that night, right? Oh, no, Andy Gould the day before. we When we decided to go with Doug, the day before, before we even told Andy, Andy's, I'm going to have to back out. Sorry, I'm, I just can't do this, right? This is all really interesting, dude. So like, oh, no problem. We're like, we're in our head, we're like, oh, are you going to go with the other guy? It's fine. So I, I fucking go to the Rainbow with my friend. And all the managers are sitting at a table out front. All of them. Everyone we were talking to. I'm like, that's weird. And my friend, he's like, yeah, that's weird. Because he's kind of connected to a little bit of this st- whole story too. So, hey, what's going on? So 
we're sitting at the table, you know, I'm hanging out with them. Like Smallwood's there. You know, Doug wasn't there. Doug wasn't drinking or anything at the time. So he wouldn't go out and do that kind of thing. But it was like, you know, Rick Sales and Andy Gould and a few other ones. I can't even remember them all. But I was just sitting there like fucking thinking, wow, this is weird. Then Andy Gould says from the other side of the table, he's like, hey, Craig. He's an English man. He's all, I'm really sorry about saying no. He's all, or that I didn't take the job, but you, but you went to the right place. I'm all, we didn't make an announcement. You know, I'm all, where did we go? He's all, you went with him. And he pointed to Rick Sales. I'm like, no, I didn't. We went with him. And I pointed to, you know, uh, Rod Smallwood. Smallwood. He's all, oh. And I didn't understand what the fuck happened, dude, for a while. Well, you didn't realize that at the table they were playing, playing, well, they're playing cards for you, right? They're basically. playing fucking cards. Not at that Jesus. table, but at Rick's house they had poker games. And I had met Rick at a Slayer show, and he had been getting our fucking rust from Rick Rubin, who wanted him to manage us. Rick wanted, because his relationship was Slayer. And he was scared. Rick was... You know, Rick Rubin ended up being scared of Doug Goldstein because of his reputation of hanging guys out of windows to get paid. He had like he was one of those old school managers. I like the guy already. Yeah, he was fucking rad, dude. You know, GNR at their height. You know. Oh, and I didn't understand what the fuck happened, dude, for a while. What you didn't realize that at the table they were playing, playing. Well, they're playing cards for you, right? They're basically. playing fucking cards, not at that Jesus. table, but at Rick's house they had poker games. And I had met Rick at a Slayer show. And he had been getting our fucking rust from Rick Rubin, who wanted him to manage us. Rick wanted, because his relationship was Slayer. And he was scared. Rick was, you know, Rick Rubin ended up being scared of Doug Goldstein because of his reputation of hanging guys out of windows to get paid. He had, like, he was one of those old school managers. I like the guy already. Yeah, he was fucking rad, dude. You know, GNR at their height, you know, at their biggest moment. But anyway, so I didn't know what was going on. And then there was, like, a lot. Once, once Doug Goldstein came in the picture, there was a shit ton of like Rick wouldn't answer things fast for Doug. He wouldn't really do things quick enough for Doug. He was fucking scared of Doug. So he would passive aggressive deal with him. And I, we were having problems with Doug and you know, we were called into a meeting with the guys from sanctuary. And I remember showing up with pan to the meeting and walking in and there's Rick sales and Merck sitting there at one table. I'm like, hey, guys, what's going on? And I'd already talked to Rick at a Slayer show, and he was all like, I love your band. I want to manage you guys. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, maybe. I didn't know, you know. So I'm like, that's weird. So we, he's like, yeah, I'll be with you guys in a moment. So Rick gets up. He finishes his meeting, gets up, walks over. He's all, yeah, I'll be seeing you guys. I'm like, okay, like, whatever. So finally, fucking Doug Goldstein shows up, and they proceed to berate him and say, you aren't getting things done. Shit needs to go faster with this band. They deserve full attention. Everyone, uh, we'd switch from Columbia to Island in the meantime because like, there was a big merger thing. Uh-huh. Everyone at Island's excited about this album. This has got to be the biggest thing this this upcoming year. We don't we don't feel confident in you, Doug, that you're getting the thing. That, he's like, whoa. He's like, I'm like, what the fuck, man? Am I an elephant sitting here? I was like, what the fuck? He's like, he's, he's like, you're fired. He's like, we're we're gonna uh, we're what do they how do they say? We're absorbing Rick Sales management into Sanctuary, and he's gonna be the. I'm like. You're what? Like, I flipped out because Paul Bostaff at that time was not saying glowing things about Rick at that uh-huh. moment. And like, I, when I saw him to Paul, he's like, dude, you can't trust that guy. I don't think Rick's that bad, actually. I think he's really cool now that I got to know him. But at the time, I was like, holy shit. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So, yeah, they were playing fucking cards for us, and Rick ended up winning after all. Amazing. Rick, Rick ended up winning after all. And all these other managers. The things that go behind the scenes that you never knew. Yeah. So 
we finally, you know, have a manager, and then we're finishing up the record. Finally, we move into another studio. I'm coming back down to the L.A. to, to help co-produce all the vocals because they weren't getting done fast enough when it was just those two in the studio. Uh, Brian and uh, Pan was just taking forever, and everyone's like, they begged me to come back down. They're, like Dino's like, dude, you got to come down and help finish these things out. So we did, and I did more overdubs on guitar, like did some cool stuff. It was all, all cool, and then the mixing process and. That was another fucking crazy story, which I'm not going to get too deep into because they'd set a bunch of people up to mix that record and see what was going to happen. And it ended up being Sean Bevan, which I, who I love, Sean. I turned out to be great friends with Sean. Uh, he, he did the Nine Inch Nails stuff. He's, he's the very beginning of Pro Tools guy. Uh -huh. like, but he ended up you know, mixing that album and doing it really well. But all these people had come in and out to do that. And uh, the, the mix itself, dude, took two months really because we was we would go back and do like all these different passes for Ugh. rick dude there's like hey man you know two inch tape everybody remember two inch tape yes when we did drums we had two inch tape that went all the way down your garage and over halfway back that's how many takes so at 200 dollars a box back in those days so to make a long story short and after rick had the album mastered eight times by six different people and he fought with us over are sequencing. we getting to the price yet when yeah. do we get to the get to the yeah price? i'm getting to the price and getting we, to the price guys we, we we fought over sequencing for months sequencing you fought over he wanted it a different way it's the only fight i had with him and i fought the entire time and i fucking ended up saying have it your way so we started the album with safe passage i didn't want to do it i wanted to start i had a whole different sequence we all did but i ended up relenting on that one and after all that fucking money and time, the final bill yet. came out to $875,000 and a, an album that Island was so fucking excited about. How do you pay that back? Yeah, yeah. well, we, we were getting big tours at the time offered to us before the album. We did. Uh, but tours don't pay off records. No, they don't. They don't even touch them. You got to be on those tours to hope people are going to buy them. This is the beginning of digital. Right. right. Even so, even worse. Yeah, and we didn't remember know. back in the day, man. I remember Exodus. We used to just do three hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand records units because there was no digital shit. If you do sixty or seventy thousand units now, you 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 got a successful album. That's fuck, true. That's true. Fuck, you killed it. Yeah. Well, you know, we were uh, totally bummed when our album finally came. We toured. Do basically, I'm going to call this. call this. Oh God. It was well. We had we had passed out over a hundred thousand stickers saying one date. And then Island, uh, I remember uh, Lior, Lior Cohn left, and then L.A. Reed came aboard, and they took the whole roster and said, we're going to push it back a few months, and we flipped out. We're like, we've been touring on this album that's not even out for almost a year, and we're handing out all these stickers saying it's going to be out okay, this certain where, where day. Where are we at now time-wise? Where are we at? We're now? in 2003 by this point. We're, now we're in 2003. We're at the beginning of 2003. We've been out for a while. We've already toured with bands. Records done, but been yeah. been mastered and mixed a hundred fucking times. We'd already, Seven Ways to hey, Sunday. Dude, our, our song, Say Passage, was fucking number one on active radio for fucking months before we even had a real release date. It was like, it was crazy. It was all, you go to the Midwest or the South and everyone fucking knew who we were. And it was before an album was even out. It was, it was a really crazy, like, wow, you know, this all is probably going to happen. We're thinking it's all going to happen. And then they had that big merger or no merger, a changeover. Like I was saying, Lior Cohn left, LA Reed came in. They pushed everything back. Fuck, man. 
when are we going to put this album out? So we've actually pushed to have it come out sooner because the sticker said a certain day. But how's anyone going to fucking know? So the labels try to tell us, like, hey, man, you might want to wait for us to give you a better date so we can set it up properly. And then Pan's like, no, I can't wait. This is ridiculous. So we didn't. Lesson to be learned here. If your label says, take your fucking time and let us do this and work the record. Let us market the Listen to them. Listen to them. So remember, if your record label tells you they need time to rework your album or set it up properly, never argue with them listen about it. Because to the record label. Yeah, listen to the label because they know what it takes. Well, they're the label. So yeah. they, this is a major, doing. major label, really fucking powerful people. They think they got the hit. They think they... This is going to be the rock record of, you know, 2003, 2004. Everyone did. Everyone did. Radio did. Like, it was everywhere we'd go. It was the same story over and over again. But I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because I've already spent a lot of time talking about it. I can just, I can sum it up like this. Once we went through all that, they finally gave us a release date. Our album comes out on this date. We only sell 5,000 copies that week, which we thought was a fucking failure because we passed out all these stickers. But what happened was everybody went to buy the record the day that those stickers said the album was coming out. And there was a record of people coming in the stores and everybody was going to buy them. So they didn't even fucking know. And we still sold 5,000 copies. But in our heads, uh, fucking, you know, we should have charted. Kids, dude. We're still in our 20s. I think I was 29 at the time or something. And... I was like, you know, fuck, man. Like, what the fuck did, you know, we had all this amazing setup and opportunity and, and we just fought with our label every step of the way. Uh, our singer didn't want us to be in video games. He didn't want us to be in movies. He didn't want that us to be in. That makes no sense at all. Well, it makes sense if you think you have this in his head, if you think you have integrity to, to not do these things. I'm all, yeah, well, you know, my argument yeah, was... you're John Lennon and Paul McCartney, yeah. you could call those shots. But and their shit's everywhere was, now. But I mean, but but I'm just saying, they, they they were like against that. They didn't want their stuff. Michael Jackson bought their their uh, catalog and started doing that. But I mean, for Exodus, any game possible, you want to get it, just get a hold of Exodus and we'll love I love that. I think it's flattering to me. Yeah, well, for it's us... flattering. For us, it was a huge point of Somebody contention. Somebody uses a fucking your song in a movie, that's flattering. Well, they ended up... We ended up turning everything down, and then the label ended up putting a song in a video game and sending us a fat check. And say, see what happens? See what happens? And then Pan got, he liked the money. Duh. And we had already been through all this fucking shit already, and we were taking, we were in between. We are supposed to, you know, like the next phase was going to start happening. We're going to start writing music and still do more touring. But I remember telling everybody in the band, and this was the moment that it kind of ended. I told everyone in the band, Guys, we got to take part of this money and put it into our fucking account and make sure our studio is paid for the next few months and just, you know, have a, have a float. He's all, you guys can do whatever you want. I, I'm not going to do that. He's all, I need the money. That's not going to happen. And then, you know, I Can you tell us how much it was, Craig? It was... Six digits? Close to six no, digits? No, it was six. It was six digits. No, it was seven. Seven? It was seven well, digits? No, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Six, seven digits? Six, it was six digits. Six, six digits, digits. Yeah. <laughs> Seven just got an M next to it, you know? It's no, dude, wait a minute. I'm an idiot. It was five, but it was a good five. It was a five-digit number. 
five digits. Just for one five. video game. One, for video, one game. video game. Yeah, they're showing us. They're showing you what you can do. Right. Sure. And, you know, he he didn't argue once that came, and and I love this guy, dude. I, I mean, love hundred grand, six digits to uh, me, but ninety grand, five digits. You know, there's good money in that stuff. Yeah, I don't man. want to say anything because I, I ended up refriending with him, and, and you know, like, but this, at this moment, I made a decision, and kind of like with Forbidden War, there's this one thing that was like. I'm going to listen, dude. If you're going to fucking not be a part of the band financially, then I don't know what to do with this. And I'm going to have to fucking say that's that, you know? And he's like, no, you're not going to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, that's it. You know, if you're not going to, you're either going to put money in or it's over. And then, you know, he didn't put any money in. I said, well, then it's over. And it was that simple, dude. And this is a band that should have okay, fucking what, been huge. What, now, what timeline? I need time. We're talking about... The We're very beginning, of, very ending of 2003, beginning of 2004. The album's out. Uh, it, How it, long has the album been out now? It's only been out a few months. A few months. You know, we did, you know, shit, What man. are the other members thinking that when you're, like, calling, going, like, you know, fuck this, I'm done, we're done? What, what are they thinking? Well, they're thinking it's fucking heartbreaking. I mean, we're all thinking it's heartbreaking. But, but they understood when I said it. I said, can you guys, do you, if you guys want to continue playing with them, you know, I'm not down, and and they decided to go with me on that. And you know, we had a it was it was very drama uh, intensified, and it was ended there a up final show. Was there a final? You we know? was. We did a. I believe our final show was uh, playing Soundwave for uh, coming into 2004 for a Christmas party. Remember, they used to have those Christmas yes, parties. Yes, I do. It was yeah. fucking great. They were so fun. They have the nice room in yeah. there with the. Yeah, Pan got a. Uh, no, our final show, oh, dude, our final show was at The Pound uh, in the beginning of 2004, and uh, that was the show where this guy jumped up on stage, Pan was battling with a guy on the internet, didn't know how to deal with trolls, and fucking, they ended up, the guy ended up sneaking back in the club after they threw him out, and he jumped up on stage and fucking fell on my cord, knocked me off stage, attacked Pan. Dude, this is after Dimebag. Oh, my. Dude, it was crazy. So this 2000 and... Yeah, I don't even want to mention his name. Yeah. but Some people know he is. But he ended up blowing me off the stage. Oh, my. And my guitar goes flying. And I, I, I turn around, I look, and they're in, like, got each other in headlocks, just punching each other in the face over and During over the again. set. During the set. Oh, set over. Wow. Set over. Things were fucking weird. So set over... We Show tried over, to start playing. Game over. That's it. We tried to start playing again, but my guitar had hit the ground so hard. And it was so whacked out that we couldn't fucking play... But like one more song. I think we did. We came back into Swamp Water with the other guitar, and that was it. So we played one more song. And that was the end of Man May God. We didn't know it yet, but then that other battle, it just happened right after that. And yeah, it was like it all come to a fucking So how soon after that close. did it finally just end, and that was it? Well. A month, two months? You could, you could put, no, it was, it was within a month. It was in, within probably two weeks after that show. It was when this whole thing happened. And, you know, and when it happened, Rick and, and Dino both said to me, well, you know, if, I mean, if you ever want to work with Pan again, we'd love to, like, have you both back. Right. They didn't really care. We were written as key members anyway, so they didn't really, just like, uh -huh. and I said, well, listen, I'm going to look for a singer, and maybe we'll continue. And they said, well, good luck. You know, try to find a singer. They, so we weren't done with them yet. And uh, that was where Tim Narducci comes in. Yeah, it's, so the end of Man Made God is basically the beginning of, of, of Spiral Arms because we had originally wanted to continue Man Made God and we're looking into having a singer and, and American was interested if I could find the right guy. So Tim came up because he was having problems in Systematic, which was right. on uh, Lars's label. Sure. 
and they had their radio thing going on too. Yeah, he did, did some big tours. They like they were they were doing well too. And but he had the same kind of problems with another member in his band as we were having in ours. And so it just seemed like a really good fit. And um yeah, I, I was, you know, I mean, we spent many years after this moment, but we we tried to do stuff. We actually went back and did a show at the pound. It was our first show with him. And and I had some music I was writing already, and I was showing him now that. you're playing at the Pound as man-made God. As man-made God. With Tim singing? With Tim, yeah. And, and yeah, we were going to announce... you did that. We were going to announce our new name, which comes up in a minute, but it was it was billed as man-made God, yeah, with Tim. But what happened was we demoed some stuff, and, and I was sending shit directly to American as soon as it was done. And, you know, pretty much what ended up happening was... Uh, and I didn't, you know, this is a mistake I made, dude. I didn't really have the heart to say to Tim what they said. And it just, they didn't like him. They didn't like, they thought, you know, he's fine in his other band, but he's, they didn't feel his voice suited our music. They felt like it, it just didn't have the same kind of gravitas. It was good. Tim had a great voice, actually. Very smooth. But that's the thing. It was smooth, where the other one was like, gritty so rick likes gritty rick likes rock and roll on the edge rick likes you know what rick likes is what rick likes it, and it's it, so they basically said if you ever get back with pan as i said earlier get right get right back to us and we'll and we'll talk again and in my head i'm thinking well fuck if i can get out of this fucking eight hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar debt why the fuck would i even bother i'm blaming you bam so i'm, I'm like freedom change Dave change. So at that point, yeah, I was like, freedom. I we fuck it. We won't be man made God. Yeah, we didn't get that exactly. big. That band broke up. Yeah, we were not we didn't get that big. You know, we had potential to be big, but at that time I was just ready to outrun it. I was just ready to fucking bounce. So, you know, I didn't know what the next step was there, but I knew I had a style that was identifiable. I knew I could do my thing. It wasn't like when Man Made God started where I was just completely coming out of left field. I was just gonna continue doing what I do, and I was gonna do it with Tim. And I was teaching Tim basically how I do things because he's a hell of a guitar player himself I was mm. teaching him how I write the chord progressions I use you know I was writing lyrics with him I was showing him melodies it was it was a really uh, cool phase and we did that show and we announced it and it was everyone's like oh it was cool a new band but it took a little while to fucking find our way man because you know music as you know was already changing 2004 um was kind of the end of what the the rock like it it, it it turned into another phase where it was like a kind of it was more still new metal and and shit and we were never new metal but people like thought man made god was like some sort of new metal band because other bands around us were it's like fuck we were and a rock and roll you band came from forbidden they they probably tried to say that you know what I yeah mean, the, so. you'll get that like yeah the green's a new metal album like what the fuck is new metal right. I, just, I don't even New metal to me was like you know. New metal to corn me, corn or chimera. Corn, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that's that's yeah the, that that. New metal, uh, shadows fall. That was yeah. That metal. was starting to come up that right was new, when we new were new metal to me. Yeah, and and you know what, systematic was new metal. Yes. Tim never thought so, but they were. You know, I was like, dude, you guys weren't really. Sure. But he wanted to be in a rock and roll band, and he loved fucking man made God. He did, and you know, to the point where I'd hear stories about how he like you know. He'd be kind of upset about it. He'd be like, those fucking guys. Because he wanted to rock too, dude. And it, 
it gave him a, it presented an opportunity for him to do what he really wanted to do in in write fucking great rock songs without trying to fit into anybody's fucking thing that's what i wanted to do with spiral arms but he brought the name spiral arms too he actually was the one who showed me that name out of the newspaper talking about spiral arm universes and it was like this whole article about he's like yeah you know cosmic I'm like, killer i'm like that's cool it's stony it's i like it you know fucking no problem i'm into that so that's what it started as and it was a, it was a cool phase and at that point it was james and steve still went with me from man made god into spiral right, arms right we decided to move on with the man made god thing you know i and like i said i have regrets that i didn't tell them exactly why i didn't want to continue as man made god but i just didn't want to really i didn't want to break his confidence because i think there was a confidence problem he was having at that time because what happened with his band well plus eight hundred seventy five thousand other reasons too well that's me with, but him it's a well, little different I, i'm just saying he probably he probably had a big debt laying over his head too you know and he was managed by rick sales and and nick was his oh, guy I bet. I nick bet. was his guy day-to-day where we had Kristen Mulderig was our day-to-day and you know they went on to be phenomenally fucking successful managers Good. both of them well you know nick just passed away a few months ago he was one who managed. Yeah, he yeah, he he uh, he passed away, and he was while he was managing Gojira and. Oh yeah! Oh, I did hear that. Yeah, I yeah. did hear that. Yes, that's right. I'm and sorry. Sweetheart I did, of a guy. Love them. Loved. Loved. Actually, loved Kristen Mulderig and my entire time working with her. Felt bad for Rick Sales by the time the band was over. Anyway, that's the whole back there. But so we went into it and kind of just threw ourselves at, at, at making demos and writing songs and. You know, didn't really think about how fast or long it was going to take. We figured, so now you're going through 2004, even though you're not worried we're, we're about We're in the 2004. Timeline. We're starting to write. And, and at, this, at what point? In the summertime or right away? Because you played that probably last Probably around show April or April. April or so. We started. And you've decided that you're going to be spiral arms. We started, that, yep. And that you're going we're to start demoing. Start demoing. And demo, stuff. Uh, Tim had a, like a 16 track, and we demo the stuff, and it fucking he was good at yeah, it. Yeah, Tim know? tracked. I lived down the street from him that one. Well, time. your kids yeah, used to yeah, walk by right. all the time while we were yes, tracking. They did. That's and they're right. probably like, "What the hell's going on in there?" Yeah. But we did, and it was a really creative uh, phase for for us. And he and he learned a lot from me. Like my basically my. I mean, I learned some things from him, but definitely at that point, he was like taking in the new way I was kind of doing stuff. So it was a really cool thing. And he started getting really good at the recording and the writing. And then he started taking over a little more writing, kind of using incorporating the chords and stuff that I do. And um, relatively quickly, we were playing shows and like already people were digging us live better. They, they liked it. And the demos were coming out, but they weren't really you being better responded. than man made God. Live, yeah. Just, just because they felt like we had a little more energy. Uh-huh. But the thing was is that, uh, as soon as we started rolling, that was Steve's first real shoulder problem happened. So this is the spinal tap thing. So I won't tell you the whole lowdown of how it all went down, but basically here's our drummers in a, in a row. We went from Steve Jacobs to Paul Bostaff replacing him, learning how to play rock again, coming out of all that thrash metal and doing a fine job, but it was a struggle for him. Then back to Steve Jacobs, who reheard his shoulder again, to Eric Kretz, who finally we got to play together in a band. You know, from Stone Temple Pilots, Eric. And that was fucking amazing. To uh, Eric having to leave. And then uh, Chris Contos comes in. And then that was cool and creative. But then we had a falling out with Chris after the Forbidden Thing started, which we'll get to. And then we had Ron Redine playing. And then uh, Ron Redine played with us on two albums. And he was great. Very understated drummer. Great, though. And then Andy Galleon came in. So we had all those guys. 
We was just moving on, yeah, dude. Okay, like so how Spinal Tap. Bow, 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 bow. From 2004. How, well, I did it where again. Where are we at now? We're at 2007. 2000 and well, third re- okay. second record. From okay, I just want to do the drummers. I just we'll go backwards now. So okay, so we started playing with Steve. Uh, he had those problems. We had Paul come in and do some shows. That was great. Uh, we just kept writing and writing and writing. It didn't really. We weren't really sending our demos to anyone yet. We weren't really trying to get re-signed yet. I we we kind of felt like let's fucking really get our sea legs under us. And uh, by the time we went through Steve to Paul to Steve to Eric Kretz, that was where we started to get a lot of attention from labels once Eric was in the band. And the stuff that we recorded with him was getting hot. And then Andy Gould pops up in the picture again. And he wanted to manage us. And they wanted to get a deal done quick. And in the midst of all this, James Walker, my bass player, already had one kid. And he had another kid on the way and we were kind of him and I would go at odds. And he just, you know, basically said, listen, man, he's like, I I don't want to do this thing. I don't want to be signed. I don't want to, you know, like, uh, and then Eric's like, dude, we'll pay you a severance. You could come work with us just for the, till we're finished the deal. And then he's like, nope, don't want to do it. So when that happened, Eric's like, I need a break. I think I'm going to go back to Stone Temple Pilots for a minute and see if I can get those guys back together. So that's when we needed a drummer again. So that whole deal went away. And then we had to pull Chris Contos into the picture. And uh, we recorded some stuff with him. I talked him into doing it. It was at Sangra Turner. Remember he was in Sangra Turner? Uh, yeah, he did that yeah. metal band for a minute. He did like yeah. a thousand bands, dude. Yeah. Like Chris is in more bands than anybody we've ever known. But he uh, he asked me to do Sangra Turner. And I said, well, if I'm going to do your Sangra Turner metal thing... It was like metal, thrash metal. He said, well, I'm going to do your thing. You're going to help me out and record some songs with us. And they sounded great. So he ended up like saying, okay, let's just do this. So he he went full time. And then uh, then we pulled Brad Barth in and sort of added the element of, of B3 keyboards and Rhodes piano and fucking all this amazing shit. So it was like, boom, we're like, it was really cool, you know. And we're starting all over again. We're just starting the whole shopping period. Tim's getting much better at recording. Um, then... We get an offer to play grass pop uh, with Spiral Arms in Europe. And I'm like, well, wow, this is fucking great. We're going to play grass pop. This is fucking awesome. We go over to Europe. And within the first hour of me being in Europe, I realize they were grifting me to do Forbidden. As soon as I land basically in Europe and I'm, and I'm making my way around anywhere, any hotel, anything, there's people coming up to me talking about, you know, we need to bring Forbidden back here next year. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, in the car on the, on the, on the ride over to the. What year grass pop is this, Greg? Tw- 2007. It's 2007 grass 2007. pop. 2007. Spiral Arms is playing at grass pop. Yeah, we had so many drummers that we really like hadn't settled in. We were about to get signed with Eric. Then the the Contos era begins in 2000, must be 2006. We go for a, a couple of years. We make some demos. We're starting to get attention again. We do the grass pop thing. They throw forbidden at me. Um, like over and over again, everywhere I went, and when I had breakfast uh, the morning that Who we was played, throwing forbidden at you. Everybody did. The promoters, people from Nuclear Blast. Yap introduced himself to me. Sat down at breakfast and introduced himself to me and said, "You know, this, that, and the other, and we want to bring Forbidden back here next year." And I'm just realizing, holy shit, they're not as interested in Spiral Arms as they are. Just want to see me fucking bring Forbidden back. And and I was and I resisted it, dude. I didn't. I wasn't a dick about it. I just go, you know, no, that's cool. I'm just doing what I'm doing. I'm not really looking to try to drag everybody back. And 
we did the fucking show out there. It was really fucking cool. And then I get home and uh, a couple things happen. Uh, really soon after that first that trip to Europe, uh, I get an email from Hank Sherman. Yeah. And Hank, I don't really know, but I worship. You know, I, Hell yeah. yeah. He's like one of my top influences. Uh, writes me this really nice letter about merciful how faith for yeah, those merciful of faith. You Hank Sherman, merciful know faith. Hank Sherman. I'm sitting next to you watching Get Thrashed, and all these thoughts are rushing through my head. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I at least got to reach out to all the guys and see how the fuck they're doing because these offers are coming in. Well, I mean, I'm sitting there you know. and I, we're watching the movie and I was in an exodus at this time. And I'm telling him, if Russ doesn't want to do it, I'll fucking do it. Remember, I'm telling yeah. you that. I go, I don't care. I'll figure it out. I'll do it. You need to do this. Yeah, yeah. Which, well, I at least entertained the thought and I was doing interviews after. and I said, I'll think about it, you know. And, and I went and called Bostaff first because he was the first guy. I was like, okay, Paul, you've been telling me we want to do this for years. You know, Tell me about all those forbidden fans you run into. I'm like, do you really think they're out there? He's like, oh, dude, they're out there. So he was in. Uh, then it was, I, I think I talked to uh, Russ next and then Matt. And then we wanted to get Tim Calvert in. We really, you know, like the possibility of having Tim Calvert in. Now, that's a whole story unto itself because he was going to be a pilot. And his whole life was changing at that point. So, you know, it kind of reverted into what it, t it turned into. We wanted it to be a twisted and deformed thing, and it turned into be a forbidden evil thing with Glenn. And, you know, as the reasons I went over, we were all a little bit, we had a little bit of trepidation about trying to do that. Sure. But we hadn't really even agreed to do anything yet. We just, like, talked about it, right? We had a meeting. We talked. We talked to Glenn. I brought it to the guys in uh, Spiral before it even had happened. I said, well, I'm getting offers, you know, and I'm going to do this demonic thing. And, you know, I was talking to Chris. I'd, take, I'd pick up Chris every day in Oakland, take him all the way to Livermore and back to Oakland. So we had a lot of time to talk. Like, that was our everyday practice thing, you know. So I was telling him, and he, he was being pretty supportive. And as was Tim, you know, they're like, you got to do what you got to do. You know, you got to, if you want to close out the forbidden thing, you got to, you know, go do it like that. Because that's what my intention was, Steve, is to close it out the right way. <coughs> you know, like, let's do this the right way and play some festivals. And, you know, then it'll be all about spiral alarms. So we went into everything with them thinking, all right, you know, we, oh, by the way, we'd released a full length of a collection of our demos Spiral Arms had done. And that, that it did, people really dug that. So that was the only real release we had. It was like about 11 songs or something. And it was, you could still find it. It's called, I don't can't remember what it's called, Soul Music or something like that. But anyway, we did this thing, SOL though, like Sun. Um, and it was, it was, it was pretty cool, you know. And I, we were kind of thinking that we were fight, had a good trajectory. We had, you know, new management and everything was kind of going good. And then, you know, as I started rehearsing for the shows and, and, and getting ready and then, you know, talking about doing the demonic thing, I just felt tension. So essentially what seemed like it could have been really a good thing for the band and get a, garner attention for Spiral Arms ended up being like a unspoken whispered dissension as people were watching me gear up for it. Like, you're gearing up for this. I'm trying to, you know, get myself up for it. Remembering how I played, you know, remembering all these things. They come back to me, you don't forget how to ride a bike. No. Know? My right hand's always going to be there. So I, I was immediately fucking in. And as everybody else was kind of catching up. But we didn't, Paul couldn't do it, dude. <coughs> we, were gonna, we started getting ready to rehearse, and Paul, all of a sudden, he got a call from Testament because they heard that we were going to fucking... Started getting ready for the festival. They needed a drummer. 
So they're like, dude, we need you to finish this album with us, Formation of Damnation. So he's like, dude, I can't do it. I'm really sorry. I, you know, I got this offer. It's paying. I'm like, son of a bitch. So that's where I had to call Gene Hoagland, right? And I asked Gene, I'm like, because Forbidden was his favorite thrash band, like the band overall. He's the way he thinks it was his favorite. And I was like, we never play together. We never fucking, you know, like we hang out all the time. We're best fucking buddies. Do you want to do these forbidden shows with us? Um, it was the first one that we did the Death Angel shows. And then we had a warm up gig like in Fresno and the warm up gig like Chico and then one at the Burning Borough, I think. So we did like a group of five shows. And just the, the tension and dissension leading into it, I couldn't, you know, put my finger on it exactly why or how mad everybody in Spiral was getting about this. And I just didn't, I never quite got it. But we did the shows with Gene, and they were fucking great, the two Death Angel shows. Um, and what year is this now? This is all uh, the beginning of 2008. 2008. So at the end of 2007, all these things had come to this point. Okay. We started rehearsing after January. Okay. We got into it's like February first and second or something like that, or or the end of February, one of those two. But we had just enough time to rehearse with uh, Gene. Uh, that went really good, and we'd already agreed to do festivals the next year. We didn't know who's going to fucking play drums with us. It was going to be Gene. It was going to be someone else. So we did the shows, and I, I just kept getting like it was just really hard. It's like any other band, dude. We've been together already for what about three years by this point? A little over three years. We really aren't signed. You know, and um, I'm doing this forbidden thing again, and they just, it just kind of wrecked the whole dynamic of the band. Uh -huh. It didn't in my mind, but I understood. Like later on, retrospect will clear it all up for you. You know, in hindsight, you see this shit. Of course, they got upset because, uh -huh. you know. Well, yeah, because you're going off, and it's like they're kind of like put on the back burner a little bit, kind of waiting for you to get this out of your system so we can. can we could get your full attention and carry forward. But really, nothing was really going on with Spiral Arms anyway. We thought things were, but not at that time. Things more happened for us later. But, we, you know, we need a drummer. Uh, I don't know if it was you that suggested Mark Hernandez to us, wasn't it? I think so, yes. Which was, is even yeah. more ironic. Yeah. Fuck, that's dude, right. It you're was. really close yeah. to this whole story. So, yeah, I think you were the one who suggested Mark. And... uh and I was totally skeptical, dude. I was like, we'd already done our, you know, first shows, and we needed to get really dig into these rehearsals. I was like, well, maybe a hired gun, Mark Hernandez. I don't know even. I don't think he could play Bo Staff stuff. Well, as it turned out, he could play Bo Staff stuff, and he could play Jacob stuff. Jacob stuff might have been even a little more. No, he said no. He said Bo Staff stuff was might. Excuse me, a tad easier for him because Jacobs was incredible. You know, I cannot emphasize how good Steve Jacobs really was, dude. I felt so bad about what happened to him in the man-made God thing. And, but anyway, so Mark ended up really impressing the fuck out of all of us, and um, which is good because we were committed to a fucking European tour, and we were getting paid great amounts of money. You know? Yeah, they, they pay yeah. well if you do well. Yeah, yeah a couple shows like... time around, I know. A couple shows got like 30 grand or oh, something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they play high. They, they want, they, especially because of the, you know, the whole novelty, you're coming back and it's the first chance that fans are getting to see you at this festival or that festival so they want to you know first time for merchandise Thrash over there and everything making a true comeback yeah, at that oh, point yeah definitely too. and that's the truth too the, the the initial bands 
that were that did it initially who came back were all getting a good set of attention you know yeah. every one of us it was uh, really cool it was it was great. a great time and it, you know even when i went to europe though uh, uh i was still committed to spiral arms way committed dude and it's ad nauseum to anybody who would ask me what's going on you know with forbidden again a red album i'd be like for the first few weeks of the tour i'd be like no no was, i think it was only really a three-week tour but you know the first bunch of dates i was like nah i don't think so and uh and they were going really well dude and we were ending up like at grass pop itself we sold more shirts than every fucking band and that includes kiss judas priest and iron maiden yeah, you were you were for, gone for so long and never been able shirts to get were a stuff. hot commodity. Like this year, violence is going over there. I can that, imagine the merchandise they're going to. The honeymoon do. they're on is yeah, sweet exactly. right now. Exactly, so I can know, imagine yeah. that they're going to be number one band at all those festivals. They are. They're, they're going to kill it, which is great. This is what happens though. Yes, you, it's true. Is when you're gone for a long time and it's built up like that. So you know, I started to fucking realize like just how much of an impact we had, and and you know, I said in one interview. Uh, very matter-of-factly, this is one of these festivals. I said to a German guy who asked me the question, are you going to write anything for Forbidden Record? I'm like, well, you know, for the first time, I feel like I can go home and maybe bust out a riff. I'll just see where that leads me. Within a day, that was up on fucking YouTube, and I was getting emails, angry emails from everyone in fucking Spiral Arms about how I'm betraying the band and leaving and fucking, you know, way to fucking drop a bomb, bro. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I finished that tour with kind of a pit in my stomach. Like, what's going to happen when I go home, man? You know, what's what's going on with my band? So we fucking end up, I come home and we end up calling a meeting. And uh, it's a Chevy's over here in, uh, I think it was the one in Livermore or something. And, we, and it was like really, truly the worst day I've had up until then. Like, ever. It just was, they were just all hammering me with this, you know, dude, you fucking, how could you betray us? And you said you weren't going to do this. You said you were. I said, hey, man, motherfuckers, I haven't even fucking wrote a riff. I just said I might write a riff and you're going to fucking make this big a deal. Well, I was so fucking pissed, dude, but I was caught off guard. I didn't really know how to. It was just like, bam, 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 bam. You know, it was really Contos and Tim and Cornbread just fucking yelling at me and Brad being kind of quiet about it. I was like, I just, I didn't, you know, and I just said at the end of that meeting, I said, hey, man, you guys have made my decision for me. I wasn't necessarily going to even do this. You know, but why the fuck shouldn't I? Now, you know, I said it. I, I, I will fucking write a record then. Like, fuck you. So we all kind of went our separate ways. We didn't officially break up. It, but, yeah, I was going to say it didn't end there, but you guys kind of took a hiatus for a minute, right? Well, yeah, a lot of things happened when I left. Uh, and, and, you know, those guys all kind of, uh, Tim wanted to restructure. And I think he had, uh, he wanted his brother to come in and play bass. And he wanted Cornbread to switch over to guitar. And they were trying to, like, eliminate me without really firing me. And I guess that failed miserably. And Chris ended up quitting because Tim wanted to pivot to Stoner Rock, which we weren't really Stoner Rock before that. We were like, I always called it Stoners That Rocked. Or stoners that rock, but we were never stoner stone rock, at, at least by my estimation, because that wasn't the kind of music I was writing. But Tim was starting to write more, and uh, at, you know, so they they were doing their little thing under the scene, uh, behind the scenes as I was starting to write for uh, the next Forbidden record. I started coming up with my first fucking riffs. And, and when it, is this now? Where are you talking? You we were in two thousand eight, or we're in two thousand eight. 
And the only show we have coming up on the horizon is we have some Japanese dates coming up. With Forbidden. Forbidden. And wasn't it Forbidden and Testament and Voivod? Yeah. Oh, Japan. yeah. Thrash Domination. Thrash probably. Domination. Yes. So that's the only thing we have in the horizon. And I'm starting to just come up with riffs. And um, as one day I'm heading to practice, it was actually it was, it was Thanksgiving of uh, that year. It was day before Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. Day before Thanksgiving. I'm coming down the hill from my house. I don't know if you've ever been to my house, but I'm, I'm up the Hayward yes, Hills. Yes, I know where you're at. Yeah, like coming down Carlos B when it wasn't fixed. And it was raining, and there's a bunch of accidents that day. So I got caught on some oil, and my rear end goes, whoop, and I fucking, I, dude, I'm looking, and my only choice is to go, I see a fucking Hummer. I'm in the opposite lane, dude. I see the Hummer as I'm coming down the hill, full fucking momentum. And my only choice is to, I got no one in the car with me, luckily. So this is how my mind goes. This is all relevant because I fucking, oh shit, Hummer. What do I do? No one's there. It's all split second. I just go hard right as hard as I can and hope that I don't fall over the edge because there's that edge down there yes. that drops off into like, you know, a little mini ravine or whatever you want to call it. So the fucking Hummer smashes me and I fucking kind of come to and uh, my, my, my goddamn fucking, uh, what do you call it? Uh, poof, what do you call those things? Yeah, the, the bag. The, my the, airbag, the airbag had exploded, but it was like a 95 Explorer, right? And it was like just white dust. I was like, I don't remember it even coming out, dude. And I'm like checking everything. I'm like, I'm like am I bleeding? I'm like, fucking not bleeding. And I look and fucking the whole front end or uh, the whole right side of the passenger side was all the way in, dude, up to my leg. So if Alice would have been sitting there. Done. And then I, I realize I turn around and I'm like, what the fuck? There was a fucking telephone pole right here. So oh I so it came right here to right here. And I fucking couldn't open the door. So I had to fucking bash the window out. Crawl. I had to like get my leg up there, kick it out, crawl out of the fucking car. I'm, and the horn's going, I'm looking over there and there's fucking two people getting out of the Hummer. All this is happening and like, I don't even know how fast it all. So I came very close to dying, but without having a scratch on my fucking body, dude. And that, you know, I was fucking tripping. I was like, how fucking lucky can I be? How fucking lucky can I be to have, I, I need to, you know, the thing's racing through my head and, uh, and and my wife's sister said called Alice. She's I think I just saw uh, Craig on crash on the side of the road on Carlos B. So they come like she's a holy shit. So they're trying to call me racing down. But it, many things happen. Doesn't matter. But I tell I write everyone an email the next day, and I write everyone in both bands an email, and I say, hey, listen, I, you know, I almost fucking died yesterday. Uh, I got in a really bad accident. Um, I just want to let you guys know, you know, I appreciate you all. I'm not, you know, whatever. I think I wrote them two separate emails. I only got answers back from a couple of them. Everybody was mad at me. Forbidden was mad at me because I was still concentrating on Spiral Arms. Spiral Arms was mad at me because I was talking about doing stuff with Forbidden still. Everyone was fucking mad. And quite frankly, the only, you know, it was contention and jealousy. I mean, it was like, and it sucked, dude, because I, I, all I wanted to do was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to do it all. Right. Which, you, you know. At that point, it's like there was really nothing going on that pressing with either band, but it just it caused a huge life change to me when that happened. 
and you know it made me kind of realize who gave a fuck and who didn't but you know, you know um you went on to work with tim through the omega way i did and what happened was i i can't remember if i called him or texted him or he texted me i said you know we we both agreed that we should sit down and talk because we had all this music but i'd heard that they'd already kind of folded up the whole idea contos basically tried to break up the band and, and uh Tim took offense to it. I think he wanted to continue. So we both sat down and, and I brought Dominic with me to kind uh -huh. of keep the peace. He was a little kid. And you know, we just had a meeting. We sat down and talked over at the Cheesecake Factory over there in Pleasanton. And uh, I said, look, dude, we're better off together than we are apart. We write good music together. I'm going to be busy writing forbidden stuff. If you can handle it, if you don't get upset about it, let's get back together. And you can take the leadership role with the writing you know, because he's already kind of doing more and more of it, as he should, as his lead singer should. If you can play guitar, it's always a good idea to do both, you know. And so he was doing more of it, but he's like, yeah, but it's going to change. I have a different vision. That was the stoner rock thing. And I was like, oh, well, you know. I, but I'll you check. went with it. Yeah, I went with that. I said, like, I'll check it out. You know, I love it. I kind of, I introduced him to Clutch and stuff and Fu Manchu and stuff. I think he'd heard of it, but it's like stuff I listened to, but I never really thought I'd be playing anything like that. But the songs were cool, dude. And, you know, I mean, I, when I was busy doing my thing, it was kind of refreshing to have something different, easier to play and more cruiser. And I was like, yeah, at the time, I was like, I didn't, I just wanted to continue having fun with that and playing that and doing the forbidden stuff. And uh, that was, you know, when that was going on. So you've kind of phased now, now Spiral Arms is not really a part in your repertoire and you've kind of gone back to just. No, I was forbidden. Well, no, this is where Tim and I had the meeting and, and decided I'd keep it in the repertoire. I'm going to do both. And, and, he, much, and he agreed to do it. it. Was he it like 50 50, Craig? Or were, did you guys, were you kind of more focused? Well, we're going to do this, but let me just do this forbidden thing and then we'll get you know it. You know what it was, dude? Look at it. Honestly, looking back at it, I was way more focused on Spiral Arms the entire time. Uh -huh. But when I had to do things forbidden, I would just rehearse for like a week or two before we left and then do a thing. And then I'd be back to concentrating more on spiral arms, even when I started writing. But when the, when I did start the writing process, and this is a funny thing that Glenn and I had just talked about, we, uh, I, I remember going to Glenn's house with riffs and, and say, get out your guitar. I'm going to show you these. I've been working. He's like, no, just show them to me and I'm going to record them. And he just hits the button. He's, I'm just like recording all this stuff. And it, a lot of it ended up on Omega Wave. A lot of it ended up. And, you know, when we were done, I was just like, why didn't you play? You know, why didn't you pick up? He said, well, you know, I've been thinking, you know, I think maybe we should set a little bit more like Mashuga, or maybe a little bit more like Opeth. We should see what happens. We should, like, get together and, and do more. Well, dude, you haven't been around for one writing session. What do you mean get together more? I mean, so that was my moment right then where I realized, holy shit, this ain't going to work out again. Cause, uh -huh. Because he had a different idea being a guy that was only in the band for almost two years than the guys that were in the band for all those right, years. For the for the basis of what Forbidden it what was actually. What he well, wanted. That's what you wanted to go back to, basically. You oh, didn't yeah, want, I mean, I... I you wanted you know, to be Forbidden. I wanted to be Forbidden. I knew what we had. I knew what right. we were good at. And Mark was showing me that he could write with me. And uh -huh. we were writing some great stuff together, dude. And, and I just... I remember leaving his house, driving. I didn't go for more than fucking 20 minutes before I got... A text from his his brother saying what's this stuff i'm hearing glenn had already sent him the fucking demos and he was already critiquing it i was like what the fuck so i was like i just i was like I, this ain't gonna work you know but 
Glenn, to, to his credit, ended up quitting before anyone had to fire him. You uh -huh. know, he saw he saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't working, and it just he wanted a different thing, dude. And you know, no harm, no foul. Right. No one was really mad at him. But after the European tour, after the after the Japanese thing we did with Glenn, that was like the end of it. You know. Uh, so that's when Steve Smythe comes in. That is when Steve Smythe came in from fucking London. Yeah, I remember that because every time we were on the road, we'd always have our guest in London would be Steve Smythe. Yeah, man. Uh, Steve Smythe. For like a few years there, right? I believe he's back now, though, right? He lives in the Bay Area again. He's up Santa Rosa. You know, yeah, wow. He moved back. Closer than London, bro. A lot closer than London. It was, it was a mighty task, but it was well worth it for what the product we ended up with, with Omega Wave, which we'll get to. But we brought in Steve for a good reason because... We needed somebody that was easy to work with and somebody that was uh, also great. And Steve is great. A great, great. That's an yeah. understatement. I'm sorry. And yeah. people talk about unsung people in the business. That guy is so unsung. It's unbelievable, man. Well, we were trying to get him sung. You know, I mean, he, he did. Oh, he's he, sung. You know what I'm saying. He's had his testament though, time. You know I mean? He had his Nevermore time. Nevermore time. His VR exactly. time. Yep, that's right. But I, and he has his one machine time. But I think with Forbidden, he... I really wanted to see uh, what a partnership with somebody like him, because that was, that was it reminded me more of Tim Calvert back when we started, and uh, that was really kind of what I was hoping for. And I will say that uh, if you go chronologically through all the guitar players that were in Forbidden Evil, through you know every one of those guys is fucking great, and everyone did something really special, like all of them. And going with Rob to Glenn to you know Tim to uh, obviously Steve, but Steve Meta had more more musical knowledge than anybody else. He knew more about theory. He would try to tell me like sometimes like, well, you know, you're not really supposed to do that there. And I go, nobody tells me that, but that was nice to know. You know, like the other guys, we just, we, they'd either like it or not. They wouldn't explain why that wouldn't work or how that's not supposed to work. He knew a lot about theory, man. So uh, he, he was really fun to work with. And we just did, uh, I had a couple songs written when he came in. I had Hope Gnosis and Adapter Die Already Ready uh -huh. to Go. And that was Mark and I, and uh, Matt helped with a little bit of hypnosis too. But now, talk a little bit about working with Mark, because I mean, you, you know, now you've you you know you went from working with Paul and a few of the other great drummers that you had worked with with Mammy God, and then Spiral Arms, and now you're working with Mark. Mark. Mark was great to begin with, but we had to get acclimated with one another. And it was funny because for a while there, he was he would make jokes every day about being the hired gun, and it wasn't until we started writing. I said, I'm not going to necessarily say you're in the band until we're writing music together. And then well, I can't we, remember where it was, but I go, you need to get him. You did. Yeah. Cause he had played with technocracy with Demel and I knew him from that. And, and I was like, wow, well, he's a really great, he great was in drummer. violence. Yeah. Well, yeah. For, yeah first for, and foremost. And I remember him from both and, and I remember him, you know, I mean, obviously we have different memories of one another, but I remember him being a lot more cocky and, uh, cocksure. You know, and that was cool. Uh, but getting to know him in his sense of humor, he's very sharp. This guy, he's he's like he's he's like a, he cuts like a knife, Mark. And I play with him to this day. You know, we're played back to get you right, know, and which we'll get to. Yeah, well, which we'll get to. But syncopated would be the word I would use for Mark. He knew how to lock up with my right hand, and we wrote some really creative patterns that, if you're not paying attention, you may not notice how intricate those things are oh and, i know hunting and holt i mean i i know that i have yeah. that they have that thing together and I've, it's it's a different thing that's a that's a dude hunting is that's a 
did that guy. I'm just saying you're starting with the left, you know, or the left, the left, you know, it's, it's, it's the other yeah, way. It goes yeah. the other way. Yeah, everything's goes. Him and Ian Pace, they go the other way. The pre-roll, I call exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but so, but uh, Mark had his own thing, and uh, his own way of, of playing drums, and it was great. It was it was cool, and him him and Steve together musically was really cool. We'd get Steve out whenever we could. Uh, you know, he was in visiting. He said he was going to come when I first talked to him. Was right before Christmas, and you want to come check it out. You know, I pretty much knew I wanted him. And then, of course, we checked it out. It was really good. He checked out the songs. He learned them. He caught up. And he wasn't really doing anything at this time, right? He was he playing was with some... SNS. SNS, right. Which is what Ron Redeen that was right, playing with right. the Spiral Arms. So there was, I was playing with both guys at the same time. And they were still kind of together at that time, too. So, yeah. I mean, it was a great beginning. Um, and really exciting time because we, you know, had this international thing going now. Which ends up being kind of a drag once you fly people across the fucking country all the time for a gig yeah. or a tour for whatever. You know, it's like, uh, it's not the most economical. It's not conducive, that's for sure. Well, it and this is also, the- yeah, this is also done after the year that we made so much money in Europe, you know, and we're thinking, well, every year we'll pre- be similar, so we'll be able to afford this, you know. And we did afford it. It just took a bite out of budget. It takes a bite. Yeah. I mean, it was. And flying on a whim like that, too. Sometimes they are on a whim, and that's even more of a bite. So. But to make a, another long story short, uh, that was the beginning of the Omega Wave writing process. And then we played the Rock Hard Festival, um, I think, which I touched on earlier, I believe. Yes. And uh, that, was, that was amazing for us. That was like. Okay, we were a better band than we were the year before. Russ was more vocally in shape. There was something we were striving for. We had done a demo with T- uh, Tim Narducci. Actually, helped produce some stuff with me, and uh, that was the beginning of that relationship too. So there was a whole bunch of things that I was trying to bring both bands together in a way, even though that wasn't really possible. It, I was trying my best to. That's be That's like having two girlfriends that are going. You know what? We're gonna date we're, me, yeah. and we're gonna date her, but that's her right there, and that's her right there, and it's forbidden you know polygamy. I mean? Exactly, it's like exactly, <laughs> and it's like you know, well, is he gonna sleep with me more or her more now? You know what oh, I mean? Man. And that's the way it's looked at. And I would really, you know, <coughs> wanted it to work, dude. I mean, I loved everyone involved, but you know, like I said, after all the things that had happened, and even my accident, there was some, like you know, I can kind of see the writing on the wall. There was like, who really cared? Who really didn't anymore? And it was it was a, it was a weird time, but I did have Tim do the demo, which Nuclear Blast loved. It was it was it was Hopnosis and Adapter Die, and then uh, we went to we went and did the show, kicked ass. Immediately came back home, started negotiating a deal with Tambray as her manager, um, which was a great help. Yeah, Tambray's great. Love she Tambray. was super super sweet and always had the right the best intention she's tough as fucking nails too that one that's what you have to be yeah she's she you know tambray's fucking we had a woman manager back in the day and actually that man was she's tough as nails too you I have see to, her around now yeah, and i'm like oh, I she, see looks, her she looks time. great she she's looks like, yeah. awesome she yeah looks man awesome. i'm super. going to have her in the vault i actually hit her up text her yesterday saying i need you all day for a million different segments that i want to do that'd be great so awesome. oh yeah oh yeah we keep in touch very the powerful much so. female manager episode very, oh yeah that believe me her and we got to talk about debbie debbie, debbie yeah. gets her own episode man gloria maria well, oh yeah Gloria. well gloria's still Kristen Mulderig is doing it now Kristen. that's that's the power girl now you know who's that Kristen works for rick or with rick sales and she does 
day to day for Ghost. No, Robin Mason is the is the queen. She, now. No, she is no, she's that's, Robin Mason. Do you know she's Robin the queen Mason for, for our kind of metal? Raise Robin Mason manages Exodus, and she's the one who's she a, is man. Robin's she's amazing. badass. Robin Robin kicks ass. Robin is very strong for us. Yeah, she's but just screw, strong. Let's talk I, about she was it. just doing merch when I met her. Yeah, we we believe me. She's. Didn't she she's manage got, Testament? Uh, no, for a no, minute? she just managed Exodus. She, 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 does, she, managed she does merch for, for Testament. She does merch for King Diamond. Won't even go out on tour Without if her, Robin's yeah. not doing yeah. his merch. That's she's how on top of it. So we have looped her in. She knows everybody. She's worked with us for the last three years. And um, honestly, I don't have a problem with. I love Robin. I love everything she does. She's great. But let me give yeah. one shout out to Kristen. Kristen okay. was our day to get day That's all, folks. Day to day with. Man made God. I didn't touch that. I, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. That's why I'm. It's a, I got a contact high. But uh, <sighs> she was our day to day with Man Made God. And now she's day to day for Ghost. Great. Mastodon. Great. Gojira. Great. Those are all, you know, yeah. A listers on she, the. On she the was great scene. with us, too, but we just and weren't ready. And that's what you do. You bust you know? your ass, and that's what happens to you. Yeah. Yeah. So you look her up. But anyway, so. Uh, Back to where we were. So, yeah, we, we came home. We started uh, getting our deal done, and I wanted to get Tim Narducci uh, involved, stay involved, you know, and, and help us and be a part of the process. Now, let me so ask I him. More that, olive branches. Was that being. also trying to show him that your loyalty to spiral arms yes, as well? it was. So there was, yes. Okay, Absolutely. I, why not, right? Well, I mean, he but is. But he's a, a good, he's, he's really good. good. I, I'm sorry, he, he, Tim does good stuff. Nobody so. does more with less gear you know what than I mean? Tim does. So. Like, Tim, Tim doesn't need all the shit. His ear is really good. Uh, so well, I just heard things that he does. And yeah. I like, even the demos back in the garage when we lived down the street. Those demos that like, we made were fucking you know rad, I mean? dude. That's what I'm saying. Those 16 it's tracks, that, the early spiral you, arm you stuff. You when can't, it was, you can't, you don't know. Yeah. You just don't know. Back in the garage when we lived down the street. Those demos that like, we made were fucking you know rad, I mean? dude. That's what I'm saying. Those 16 it's tracks, that, the early spiral you, arm you stuff. You when can't, it was, you can't, you don't know. Yeah. You just don't know. So Tim did the demos, and then I wanted him to stay involved and do the album recording itself. You know, I wanted him to be a part of that whole process, and I thought it was going to work, and it did work to a certain degree. But, uh, you know, it just, it was it was something that he wasn't really, his ear wasn't really tuned to doing that kind of metal, for one. But I was co-producing with him, so I would always know, I would always know, you know, like, that album was written in pieces where, you know, the drums and the guitar got written beforehand. So the vocals weren't necessarily all written when we started recording, which, you know, you're familiar with it. In um, our genre yeah, of music, but that happens <laughs> a lot. I can go through every record, Exodus record, say this one, this one, and this yeah. one. We were in the last two days and we needed something. Me and Holt sat in the fucking control room and that's where we got this one. So yeah, that happened with us. But I, but I know. See, the thing is with Forbidden is, and this is what I was, you know, it goes back to even Glenn. It's like, you can worry all you want, but I know. Right. This is filed away in my head. And I was working with Russ like crazy. We, we would sit at my house for hours and, you know, roll through melodies and he'd pop off a melody and then I'd pop off lyrics. And it was just this great process. And so, I, you know, that trust was there with us, but Tim didn't really understand it yet. And so he, a lot of times was just kind of puzzled by the whole process. And when it came to solos, I'll never forget when... when Steve started doing his solos. Tim, like, he checked out because there's so many notes. I'm like, what do you think? He's all, I don't know. You know, it's like, it's great, dude. Trust me. 
you know, it, and those solos that Tim did, or I mean, sorry, that uh, Steve did on that record are fucking. Oh, I agree, dude. They're awesome. That, that's that's that showcases Smythe. I think. Yeah, you know I do too. I, mean? I think it was the most I, him that he ever got on an album. You. I agree. He yeah. was in his element finally, and he just got to let loose. I Which, think. So the whole process for us, again, this is I find that every recording process I go through, almost everyone I've ever been through, I have a great fucking time. It's not as easy for everyone else, but I'm not the biggest fan of the studio, although I come prepared. But I, that's I think that's any singer. It's very lonely as a singer. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Once so, you once you're put under the microscope, it is very lonely. It's if, lonely. Or, it's like you're in there by yourself. You everybody in the room. You want to do so good and. Your approach is, I mean, a guitar has tone, and you go, shin, shin, you go, yeah, that's the tone. And you play it, a voice is, I don't know if I want you to go that pitchy there. Maybe yeah. do that thing, you know. It's so very it's personal. It's very personal. Yeah, you're getting you're getting and into, you're like, like you know, how you feel each exactly, day. Exactly. You know, but you know, so, even to a guitar player, for a guy like oh, me. Oh, I agree with I'm, that. I'm a feel guy, that. so if I'm not feeling it, sure, then all of a sudden I'm sure. fucking like, you know, just thrown off kilter. But I will say where Tim was really great, uh, was in the he was good at recording the drums with us and and getting that down at Eric's place uh, down in L.A. We did it at the bomb shelter and that was really a good process. He's always great with drums, and he was really good with Russ. And Russ was not trusting like Tim's not trusting. Russ was not trusting. Those two were like this, and then gradually Tim earned Russ's trust and vice versa. And then everything that I had Russ try, he was, he was not afraid to try. And then Tim would have an idea. So that was a cool process. I think that that made it all worth it. And I feel like it was Russ's best performance on a record. Period. I think, well, I mean, I, I love all of his performances. I love this performance. Um, did he feel, did he come in with anything? Did Russ have anything? Oh, of course. Or, we, or, or did we you guys have to, or did you had to pretty much direct him on this? Well, no, I didn't always have to, that happened a lot because he trusted me like that, and, uh -huh. but that was not always the case. Uh, Russ, for, for example, a song like uh, Behind the Mask, Russ had most of that entire idea put together except for the middle, which we wrote together. I can go through like piece by piece. Like, you know, Russ did have melodies. By piece. Piece by piece. By piece. I, I had to say that, sorry. But Russ did have melodies all the time, and they were almost always immaculate melodies he just didn't necessarily want to write the lyrics that fit in the melody you know that's work uh-huh you know uh, that's just how he was like in the early Say days I welcome that yeah I welcome it well yeah it was cool give me 10 songs today next week i'll have a whole fucking record for you i just i enjoy the shit out of it well he's you know writing lyrics on forbidden evil was one thing because no one cared well that's the whole mentality the I first guess, right right sure the first record you know, I'm off the edge, I'm off the edge. You know, I only wrote maybe a quarter of the lyrics on that album and just because I had to. You know, it wasn't that I meant I wanted to. We, we talked about that earlier. But Russ was amazing to work with because whatever I dreamed up in my head, that dude could sing. So if there's some acrobatic thing that's out there, yeah. we would push each other to a point where he could do it. And I don't yeah. to this day, dude, only Rob Halford... You know, in my opinion, you know, there's very few singers. You could say guys like Ripper Owens, but I don't think he had like Russ could go full bore fucking death metal, you know, or full screech like and then fucking hit the falsettas. And it's like things that 
not a lot of singers can do it with that much power. He's had, the, yeah. so he did it. You know, Halford and, can do it like that though. If you've heard the Halford stuff, well, yeah, I know. I've shit, heard Halford at his best. You know, I yeah, mean, he's I know. A fucking, I'm gonna go he's see a, him on uh, yeah. after this airs or before this airs. I'll be right. seeing him this week. I'm gonna go check him out. And that's see him right, close. you are. Yep, yep. So anyway, you know, that's just my feelings about working with Russ. But so that whole process with the album. Uh, was cool and we had sean bevan come in and mix it which i thought was great and i wanted it to sound uh if people wonder why it's so raw it's because i wanted it to be raw well, that was Bay area thrash metal and you guys it's not always this. raw though bro needs to be raw. you know even andy sneep dude it was funny because you know, i'm good friends with andy you know and he called me one day when the album was just we had just it was after debbie abano's life celebration thing yes. and i gave him a, a cd and he went and listened to it and he called me uh, from Texas because he was hanging with Wolf Hoffman. And they were at the Wolf's pool drinking. And he was all fucking fired up. And he, he's like, we fucking love this. you know. And, and he said something to the effect of, you know, like, it's cool how you left it like that. Because Andy doesn't really leave things like that. Andy's very immaculate. He'll fucking... They sound incredibly... No, I know. He's dating. If you don't know Andy Sneap, he's he, produced his all ear, the Exodus records. I've, I would love to work with him eventually. He's produced... He just in, he's in Judas Priest. Well, he's in Judas Priest <laughs> because he produced the Judas Priest and right. Saxon. And, but he, we were the, the first ones he did. Temple of the Dam. Yep. That was his... The Which beginning. I was just listening to again on the way over because it sounds <sighs> so killer. Yeah. I got to get myself in the mode. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, but he was like, even like, dude, this is raw and cool. Like, because he doesn't, it's hard for any producer today because industry standard, as they say, is so lined up. Like, moving things to make them all line up. I like, fuck that, dude. He don't I want play. scratches I'll say and pulls. This, and, the that was vocals just me that I did on Tempo of the Damned were the most challenging. He was the most challenging producer I've ever worked yeah. with. I love the final result. But man, his ear, he li I swear to God, we listened when I thought I was done. He's like, am I done? You got to finish. Yeah, mate. Came in like the next day and he just sat there and he listened to every vocal I did on every single song. And then he was like, now's that. See that line right there? You can do it better. Get back in there and do it. And he was like, nobody had ever done that to me before. You know what I mean? They were like, oh, that's cool. It's, it's great. great. You and want I, a guy like that. You know, and and I, I learned to respect him. So since then, even the years that I was not in Exodus, he produced all those records and he did uh, uh, Blood and Blood Out as well. I often wonder what it would be like to work with Andy on a, on a forbidden record. I think it would be very clean and it would be very punchy and it would fucking tear heads off in another way. But the, the approach that we had, as I was saying, was just different. I just wanted it to be more like raw a little bit more forbidden evil twisted into four mask you know so whatever for, for better or for worse that's what we did that was the approach that i went with and all in all i'm happy with that record i am too but you know i the, get to sing on it at the end of the road you did <laughs> overthrow overtake which overthrow, was not overtake me and that Chuck wasn't the Billy. easiest timing either was no, it was not but we got it we you know, nailed it we got great, it pretty quick too dude, you sound great dude I, I i that is one of the heaviest vocal sounds that dude, when uh, Sean Bevan was mixing it, he's just like, dude, the vocals on that song. He's like, when those guys come in together, I'm like, yep, I'm all that special. Well, him, Chuck, and I've worked together on dude, it's special. Many, many, many projects, and still, I mean, I like I said before, I've written three, well. That song turned out three songs for the New Testament. Turned so. out exactly how I wanted it to turn I'm out. Glad of that. I'm glad. Uh, it, it was it exactly great. the sound. Final. Was like, again, the end result was awesome. Again, nobody knew. 
but me what I was looking for or how that was going to sound. You know, it was a lot of a lot of. But tries. that's the artist in you, Craig. I mean, that's the artist in in in, in the musician. I mean, you, even though you hear it here, because I'm the same way when I'm doing shit. It's right here. I, this is where I hear it. It's where all the music is is made. I just got to make it come here, and I got to make it go there. You know what I mean? Which so, is easier said than done. Well, it is. But if you you know here you're writing this stuff, and you can get four other guys on the same fucking page, you know, and then that comes out like that, and then you bring other guys in like you did with Chuck and, my, and myself on this. It was it was uh you know that, that for yourself going yeah. This is this yeah, is creating. You guys nailed this it, is man. creating, Nailing because you directed us how to create it. We just came in and I was just yeah, you know, and Chuck was oh, you know what I mean. But we blended together well. I just we told you guys so. do it with a sense of urgency. Yeah, so we so, did, and it sounded fucking good. So uh, at the end of the road, at the end of all the the Omega Wave stuff, and um, just getting the album done, it was just you know there was just more tension than there should have been. I just felt like like. In the Forbidden Camp, it started to feel really good. It started to feel like, okay, well, this album's going to fucking, you know, do something for us. Like, we'll, we'll see where this one lands. And then in the Spiral Camp, it was like, there was, it just got weirder. And it just never really stopped. And, you know, this is already after we've been come, we came back together. So I just, I could really kind of just sum it up. We, we only did another few months with ron i think no actually no ron was in the band for about another year or so after that because we did our and what year is this now now so we're we talking finished about. we finished in 2010 2010 uh we the album came out at the end of 2010 uh this is what's going on with forbidden here and this still at the same time i'm, I'm ping-ponging back and forth with spiral recording a couple records you know we did uh highest society in probably 2009 and then we did uh freedom in 2011 and um, at Eric Kretz's place, we did Freedom uh -huh. again. We went down. We'd always go down there to do drums. And that's an interesting story, actually. So we're down there doing drums. And the engineer, Mike Gerlach, wants to hear the final version of Omega Wave. This, so for Spiral Arms is down there doing drums. And he's like, can I hear it? I'm like, yeah, man, let's go in the control room. So we fucking go in the control room. We blast it. He's just looking at me going, holy, you know, he was having a moment. He's like, fuck, this went so fucking far. He's like, fuck yeah, he's tripping out. And then I look out over, because the control room had a back window where you could look into the big room, uh, not the, the big recording room would be over here, the big living area slash, you know, entertainment area. Where you chill. It was like 6,000 square feet uh, in that place. Wow. And it was fucking, Eric had, big. he did it up, dude, it was nice. But I look at the TV, dude, and we're listening to, uh, we're listening to the song Omega Wave. We're towards the end of the album, and fucking Fukushima is going off. And I was like, "What?" And I looked out, and there's the fucking the uh, the tsunami had pushed through town, and we were they were watching the ships and everything like rolling through town, and it's like da na 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 na. I was like, "Holy shit!" And then I walk in the room, and then Greg, or Tim's brother, was like, "Who was our guitar player?" He's like. Dude, I'm tripping out, man. Your album and this shit is fucking freaking me out right now. He's like, because it was so loud coming from here. Uh -huh. So that was a little moment before the album came out, and and we were recording that Freedom album with Spiral Arms. So you know, I yeah, I knew it was just some uh, what do you call it? Uh, you're not symmetry. Uh, yeah, symmetry. I guess it was symmetry. I think there's another word for it too, but it was it was trippy. 
Look at the easy word. It was trivial. parallel. It was it was a little parallel. Paralleled. Yeah. So. Yeah. Supernicity. Yeah. So uh, we recorded a really fucking cool album, this Freedom album, but it was definitely the first one that was really leaning towards what I was saying earlier, kind of stoner rock, because uh-huh. this was the first album where I wasn't writing as closely with Tim. He was really taking it on his own, but it was a strong record, and that that was like an interesting process with all that had happened and transpired. There was just never really that trust again. And I want to say that I want to be really clear about this. Uh, I don't want to f- come across like I'm dissing anybody on this one because I don't I, think you did on the last one. You just told the story like it was. Well, I mean, on this particular chapter, let's call it, because looking back at it now, I see all sides of it. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I can understand where they were coming from. And why Tim was taking things the way he was. But at the same time he was doing that, and nobody really knows this outside of the Bay Area, but he's got this ZZ Top thing that he does with cornbread. Right. That had become really the biggest priority on every weekend. Like, every weekend. So, it's, it was they like... They do it pretty good. They, they, if you want to go that route, it's great. But it's hard to be an original act. And you want to, you know, if you really want to push your band over the edge, you know how it is. You can't... Spend every weekend. Well, I do ACDZ like eh, every once in a while. Yeah. It's definitely well, not. They I do, do it every it once in a while now. I don't even know how much they, they might not even do much of it. But at that time, it was their answer. See, this is what was weird. It was, and this all comes out later. It was their answer to me doing Forbidden whenever Forbidden happened, which wasn't that often. But their answer was, well, if you're going to do Forbidden, we're going to do this and we're going to make money all the time. So it became, Spiral Arms became a second priority. And, to them and it was an equal priority to me as forbidden was at the time i was still trying to keep that balance dude i was still trying to keep the peace i was a little bit delusional and i can admit that now you know that i that it was going to work out the way i wanted it to and everybody would be happy and i can live with that you know but i think they were wrong and that's just my opinion. They didn't really need to worry about it as much, but I understand where they were coming from, and I don't really have any ill will about it anymore. But it was really weird, and anyone who was close to the situation knew how weird it was. And we managed to get that album out on SPV, the Freedom album, mm-hmm. uh, about the same time that I'm wrapping up things with Forbidden touring with Overkill, and then we uh, came back around and did a headlining tour. And then we did a bunch of, you know, we did more European stuff. We went to South America. So was that it for Spiral Arms, the last record on SPV? And did you do any more touring for them? Or was that? We went to Europe in 2013 uh, which it was, uh Scorpion Child at the end of 2013. And that was with the last stuff with Ron Redeen. That was uh-huh. the end with Ron Redeen because his wife was blowing him up while we were out there. It was kind of crazy. We've all seen it. If you've been on tour, you know when the when the, the texts come from long, home it's gonna happen. and the phone calls from the other wives going, what the fuck is going on? You know, weird shit. Yeah. So that was the Everybody's end of his had tenure in the band. We came home, and then that was when I we, – when, when we came home, this is kind of interesting, is when I hooked up with Rob Flynn at a Megadeth show and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this benefit for our friend Nikki Davis – which you guys ended up playing. The ACDC it, one. Well, with ACDC you, we played. Yeah, 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 the one where you guys with Rob Flynn and Friends was originally not Rob Flynn and Friends. It was called Slack Babbitt because we uh-huh. were all Black Sabbath. Right. But I talked to him about it. 
and Rob hadn't, Rob and I hadn't talked a whole bunch before that, but I said, dude, we should do Slack Babbitt. We should do this for her because she was a good friend. It was over a year since the accident. I'm like, we need to do this and make some money for her. And he immediately like looked down at his phone, got the date. So we did that. Uh, we agreed upon it. You guys were on the bill. It was fucking magical. All right. I asked Spiral Arms guys to play. And Tim was a little hesitant at first. He's like, I don't know. It's a lot of metal guys. I'm like, you're fucking metal, dude. Just do it. We're going to do, uh, we did changes, right? I said, it's going to be different when we play. We'll have the piano. It'll be our moment to be different. And uh, it was, and it was great. And it was a great moment for us. And the whole fucking show was cool. And everything about that show was amazing. Metallica guys, you know, fucking it was Metallica Slayer, Exodus, Death Angel, uh, High on Fire. Yeah, everybody represented on that. You know, I mean, you name it. Machine Head guys, obviously. Yep. It was just like a lot of a lot of fucking heads. Yep. So it was a really good moment for us. And I, I felt like that was a good dude. I felt like that was like, oh, we finally fucking hit common ground. You know, they were excited. Tim and Cornbread were all happy. And then uh, we needed a drummer. So I was like, Andy was great. Andy was great. I loved playing with him. I'm like, let's talk to Andy. So we did. And then Andy ended up joining the band. And then I thought it was all going to go really well after that. I, Andy was like excited as fuck. He's like, this is, you know, he's like an original band I could fucking sink my teeth into. It was great. Great fucking rock drummer. Metal too. But Yeah, yeah. of course. But Death Andy, Angel, Andy Gallion, Death Angel. Which is rock metal. When, the, when Andy was playing, they rocked. Now they're fucking just slamming metal, you know. Badass. They rocked still, but oh, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's way more metal the now. Last four, but well, anything I love. Death is Angel, but but Humanicide of, just came out, and it's absolutely. I listened to it all yesterday. Humanicide fucking rocks. Absolutely, rocks like heavy metal. as fuck. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. Yes, it might be their heaviest. I'd say pretty fucking yeah, heavy. It might be their heaviest. But anyway, so there was a good feeling with Andy and the band uh, that quickly subsided. <laughs> And it just, it just reverted back. I just think the damage was done. And I feel like there's almost too much time talking about all of it. But I, I can just fast forward it, man. Uh, you know, at, Forbidden was coming to a close because Russ wasn't really happy. Matt yeah, was, we, Matt we, was we thinking about... We talked about that. We yeah. talked about that. Matt was thinking about retiring and going into... He was going to be a lawyer or something like that. Well, he did that, that way right? earlier. But he's like, I need to get back into, you know... Being a, I call him a death dealer working at the funeral home. And, you know, he just he was just oh, like, I, right. I can't really I afford to do this that. like we're doing it. And I told those guys to begin with, if you want to do Forbidden, if you really want to do it, you can't do it part-time that like that. You have to be full-time when you're full-time and part-time when you need to be part-time is fine. But being like Death Angel or Exodus or Testament, you have to commit to really, really putting your fucking all into it it's and, the truth. and you can't expect the things truth. to come to you no because you know what not people, even today yeah well people see and they hear and they go they can look and, and that magic you know it's either there or this just slightly off so you're not going to propel and we could have been right there with all you guys at least being a part of these shows you know somewhat making an extra buck and being all part of that but it just it kind of fell to the wayside and uh you know, there's probably more than a hundred reasons for that. But I can't really say where other people would be, oh, fuck, it totally sucks. I totally regret it. I'm like, oh, well. Like, you know, we were coming back from... Uh, no regrets, Craigie. No regrets, yeah. brother. We were coming back from our big show at the Metal Fest uh, where we played with everybody in, in Chile. 
It was 10,000 people. Exodus played. It was when Dukes, they showed up late. It was fucking, it was mayhem. That's classic. Yeah, but it wasn't his fault. Oh, but I'm it, not saying it's classic. It, it, it was if mayhem. If it's Exodus, it's classic Exodus. Yeah, yeah, they showed it. The, yeah. Nothing on Rob. But it was like everybody played, like Exodus, D- Destruction, Creator, Testament, uh, you know, you name it. it Those was, are it was fun. It was All a great friends. fucking show. But I was flying back home with Russ, and he was pretty, he was feeling a little lubricated, liquored up, and he started kind of going off of me about, you know, your other band, it's fucking stupid, and why you do all that shit, and and then he goes, I don't want to do whacking. I mean, what do you mean you don't want to do whacking? The biggest festival. Yeah. He's like, oh, there's really not enough money in it, I don't want to have to fly out there and fly back in, in, in a two-day period, and I'm like, you know, we'd already turned whacking down the previous three years. And I'm like, dude, you can't say no to whacking again. And, you know, he basically said, well, I just don't feel like doing it. And I just, my ultimatum in that moment, Steve, was like. And what t- and where are we at now? You're whoo, in 2014, in, right? No, this is 2012, 2000, 2013. 2013. Is this after or before 12. the, the 2000? So this, this is before the Rob Flynn yeah, thing. Yeah, this is before the Rob, Rob Flynn, Flynn thing. Flynn. This okay. is So things had kind of come to a close. Yeah, see, this is where you get chronologically like, whew, whew. That's but, why I kind of just want to clear that yeah, up Yeah, let's a go back bit. a little bit to 2012. So that was really our last show because I just basically uh, made it clear to him that, look, dude, if we're going to cancel things because you just don't feel like doing it anymore, I cannot force you to do anything. Right. So that's what people don't really understand, like, why it happened. Like, I didn't say it's over. I said, I'm just not going to force you to do anything. So if you make this decision. So you did play Vakken? No. You never played. So no. when was the last actual that show in Chile? In Chile is like whatever month they do Metal Fest. I think it's like April or something of, of two thousand. And, and you don't. And you didn't come back to the states and do anything else with Forbidden, right? No, that was it. That was it. But right before those shows, we did like the Avalon. Right, right, right. I remember I was yeah. at the Avalon yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punishingly loud. We did a couple things like that. It was just loud. It didn't sound good. It was just loud. But uh. Yeah, so, I mean, that was kind of the turning point. I mean, I, I just couldn't chase it down anymore. And, you know, to this day, that felt like the right decision, where maybe with Man May God, when I ended it so quickly, might not have been the right decision. Right. But with Forbidden, it was like kind of like, okay, <clears throat> it felt How like How was pushing... everybody else feeling about that? I mean, so, okay, well, so what was okay. Matt's take on it? What was, what was Mark's take on it? You know what I mean? The, well, you'd have to ask them specifically, but Matt was ready to walk anyway. Really? Because his life was saying I needed to do more things uh-huh. for money, which is understandable. He was ready to retire. Russ was feeling it the way I kind of described it. He wasn't as inspired. It wasn't like something he was like, yeah, he was more like, uh, you know, it's like pushing an elephant up the hill was what Forbidden turned into. You know, I was like, I, I'm trying to get all these guys. Steve, of course, wanted to continue. Sure. Uh, but, you know, he knew it was kind of a drag with the situation the way right. it was. And then Mark was, you know, right there like, He'd already see. There's the whole thing with Mark, where he'd already. Actually, Mark didn't even play that show, dude. We we skipped the whole Mark leaving thing, which we should probably get into a little bit. But Mark was having problems, marital stuff, personal stuff, like almost the entire time that I was playing with him, and it kind of came to a close and a head while we were. Yeah, because I believe there, was, I met a guy. He, uh, I auditioned. He was from Chicago or something. Was that? Yeah, the guy Sasha was Horn. He's an exhorter yeah, now. Yeah, he, he's fucking great too. Yeah, he he's did. another drummer that's great. That doesn't because yeah. he was only in for a blip. But the thing was, the, the end blip, the yeah. last blip, right? Yep. 
Mark had a few shows where he couldn't do it, so we had Gene come in and do some stuff with uh-huh. us again. So that was already a thing. And then we were in Europe. We were playing, uh, what's that one, Bloodstock. And he got a text from his wife, and, and basically something had happened where she put the ultimatum on him. He was well, I can't do the next run. I'm not going to be able to do it. And, and Yap was there, dude. And Yap said, what? Yap from Nuclear Blast. He's like, what, what, what do you mean? He's like, I'm just not doing it. And he just had this kind of handout attitude. Like, you know, there's no fucking negotiating. And back again, the phone call from home. That's yeah. you know, the, the one it, it, it rules. People don't understand this, how it affects you as a musician. When you go on tour and your family is not happy. You remember when I was out a long time ago, I had little kids and there was a mm-hmm. lot of things going on there. A lot of people wonder why, what happened. I'll get into that in another whole episode. But I would love little, to interview I'm going you. To, yes, well, maybe I'll bring you in and you can. Yeah, but I, it's, I, I'd uh, love to. I, I'll put yeah. the questions to you. But uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, it came to an end with Mark and we had to look for a drummer. So that was where, you know, uh, Sasha came in uh-huh. and we had tried out a lot of drummers that we actually had uh, people submitting shit from all, I, I all over the world. Dude, like, lo- well, lucky for you, the digital age allowed you to do that. Dude, Just think if you were back 30 years ago, you'd had to physically try them out. These fuckers flew out. Some of them that were so that. good. Like we had a guy from Italy. We I had a guy from that. South America. We had a guy from, you know, the other two guys from Europe came out. One guy from Australia. I said, like, there's no guarantee you're getting the gig, dude. We're not paying for your ticket, you know, but they, they went for it. And it ended up being Sasha from Chicago, who was living in New Mexico at the time. He was, he had the most fire playing forbidden stuff. His email address was twisted into form. Really? For years. He's all, this is my email. What does that tell you? I'm like, holy shit. You know, that's not why he got the gig, but he just, Sasha was passionate. So, you know, we uh, did that festival. And that's really, those little gigs were the only ones we did with Sasha. We didn't really do too much with him. Five shows? Four. Wow. Four altogether, and uh, he was fantastic. He was great at the show. He was, he was, you know. But at this point, you kind of knew it wasn't really going to keep going. Like you well, said, I you were pushing I the was, elephant. Was this was this like God? I hope this happens. So I'm just going to bring this new drummer in, thinking that maybe this will spark some life, and everybody will see that we're doing it. Of course, always so, what okay, it was so. with forbidden. And you know, people, you guys, got to understand, man. Uh, people have lives, so you can't blame them. You no, know, you can't blame them. And and when people say do this, get back together, do that, write another album, reform, I'm like, we did that. We did that. We went for it. We gave we gave it our all as long as I could get the all out of the other guys. Right. And then as soon as the all started disappearing a little bit from the OGs, the originals, which are the only ones that really need to have the motivation on fucking full, it's over, you know? And it's not going to be as good if I just bring it back, meh. And it's not going to be as good if I get another singer or another, you know, bass player. And that's been offered to me. You know, Nuclear Blast brought it to my attention numerous times. Why don't you just get, you know, do it like everyone else does and find new people? I'm like, fuck that. It's Russ and it's Matt and it's whoever we have because those are the guys, you know. And I and I love those guys and I'm loyal, as you can tell. Yeah, I know that. To a fucking fault. I keep <laughs> I keep things going because I want them to fucking follow through. It happens. So it's all coming to an end after that last trip home. Let's just, just say that. And it and it did. And in, for, in how much time? A month? A week? No, like right day? after the show. I told Russ, just let me know when you get home and uh, tell me if you're going to do whacking or not. 
And then we'd already, oh, I didn't even tell you that with Mark, we'd had to, can that's what he said. I couldn't do the shows. We canceled an entire tour because it was supposed to be the week after we got home from that European date. We canceled a whole tour with Demonica and Forbidden. So you have been doing double duty. Double duty. Oh, I love Because a week after we got home, I would have had to replace Mark completely for two bands. Yeah, right, because he's drummer in Demonica as well. He was drummer in Demonica. So that was it you know like fuck we had to cancel tours so i just felt like canceling whacking was it like if you cancel an entire tour and then you cancel whacking these are black eyes that i just i'm not okay to stand by right. like keep coming back and doing it over and over right again. well it doesn't look good on the business end for you guys man that because mm -mm. the promoters are going well now we're leery to book you because you had the biggest festival in germany and you fucking canceled it three fucking times and you canceled the whole tour here so that's when you it's like you know your your name gets out there it's kind of dirty laundry when it comes to that stuff a little bit you don't want that reputation yeah, for I, sure I, I fucking sure as hell didn't want to keep doing it over and over again so we we called it after that and it was never official though it was just well let's just pick it up later if that's what happens but russ i've just if you're not doing whack and we're not talking about and this is now 2012 this is the end of yeah or middle of 2012 like around April, I think. Or, yeah, it was April. So, uh, you know, and then we just really didn't talk much except for email here and there, you know, after that. And okay, I, I so, now, so now, now, you're still in Spiral Arms. I am. Did there, was there not, well, ah. That was he's back and the focus is in and he and, and we got and Andy's in the band now and we can just fucking you know I did the forbidden thing I got that out of my system it's probably, we ain't going back and doing this shit again and look everybody I'm back well before Andy even got in the band that was exactly what I said I came I told Tim and the guys I said listen man this whole thing with forbidden dude just know that I was into it but it's it seems to be over, so let's go full force. And that's when the ZZ Top thing took over. Like I said, they just they chose to go. No, we're gonna make you. We're gonna, you're gonna pay penance for your fucking time away from us. Like you know, I was going through like some sort of like uh, hazing, yeah, marital fucking backlash. You know, I was like fuck. So basically, once I said I'm all in, they said, oh yeah, well, you know, maybe not. So that's kind of what happened, man. And. Uh, it, it was like really deflating, dude. And then until we got Andy in the band, when it got exciting, then they got deflating again because they just guys just said they never liked metal and they didn't want to have anything to do with metal guys. But they loved metal, dude. It's just they had more of a problem with me being metal than metal itself. Right. It was more of a problem with my being kind of the ambassador in between the two than anything. And and I and I see that now because you know now I see their their new band. They got. They're stoner metal. The, the word metal. I saw them would have the other never... day because I was with. Uh, they played with Patriot. Right. They called them so stoner, them but they would have never called themselves metal back when so. I was. In it the was band. all on you. It was all on you. Yeah, basically was. So, you know, uh, we we took it all the way through that European tour, and we and then getting Annie in the band, and then uh, we actually fucking started writing the next record. Which I even with all this, dude. And you're in 2013. You you you've just released. We, the record. We're in 2013, right? We're right now, and we're starting to write the next record, and which, you know, I had more to do with writing, and I got more involved in it, and it had more variety. I was after it was, you know, Andy was playing drums. It, you know, we had some things to make it exciting, and it was kind of like, oh fuck, this is going to be fucking cool. And then we had our deal with SPV. 
And so we had all these things going on. We had a, you know, a budget supposedly to record with and all I say supposedly and all these things. So we started recording at Eric's place again and did this fucking really amazing record. By the way, I could play you some of it. It's fucking cool as fuck. But there was no intention of the band going on beyond that. Uh huh. Not out of those guys, the two guys. And had you had this conversation with them about that? Is no, they it, never said it, dude. We went into that just album. just kind of felt it? Or I felt it. it, it when we went and recorded the album, I felt the distance. And, uh-huh. and, you know, we were doing it at Eric's place. And uh, there was just, there, there's more elements from the outside that came in that had nothing to do with me or Andy or Brad. But it was like just this outside. And I don't want to name names, but some people came into the picture and some bad advice got fucking passed uh-huh. around. And... They, you know, they submarine the band basically after a fucking album is completely done. So instead of really, we never said we were so much breaking up, but we kind of did. We put out an announcement. We agreed upon it. And where, and where are we at timeline with this? We're in the beginning of 2014. Beginning of we, 2014. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Shit, dude. No, we're, we're way past that. We recorded the album in, what year did I say we recorded the album? 13. I thought you said you recorded the record. Yeah, no, we recorded it in 2014. Okay. And, or is it even... No, back it up. See, this is where the fucking timelines get screwy. It's okay, Forgive that's where we me. can do that. <laughs> I'm not perfect. But uh, in 14, we spent the year with Andy, writing the record, doing shows, uh, after that European tour that I told you about. 15, we we finished writing the record. We did more shows. We got better, better and better gigs. We started doing some really cool shit, like the Regency, and started playing these big fucking... We played with... Uh, of all band, what's that band? Uh, oh God, the the what's Steel Panther? Oh, at the Regency, love Steel Panther. Fucking amazing because the crowd they don't want comedy; they just want something different. And right? Fuck, we went over great. It was amazing. So that that we, we did, get enough comedy with Steel Panther. That's why. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Well, we did all these great shows, and then uh, it was 2015 that we recorded and wrote. Uh, the new record, which we never really had a name for it. And um, that was, like I said, a great period of time creatively, but there was this, you felt this, it was getting stretched, man, further and further. And I just felt like, you know, I'm going to probably have to fucking do something else, but I wasn't really ready to commit on anything yet. And then uh, it was the beginning, our we, our last show we played was, remember the Rock Bar? Yes, I do remember which Rock was, Bar. Which was potentially a great place. It was it sounded awful from where they put the stage. You could, it would sound good. you could see all that well. Yeah, if you, if you had if a you show. If you got into the room, then, then it was okay. Anywhere else outside, which was basically the whole place. If you're the first 400 people, it thank sounds you. fine. Thank you. And then you're everything right. was like shaped like an L, yeah, so yes, it was weird. Exactly. And they had a delay in the back. And it was just too big and wide and long. But anyway, we did a show there in the beginning of 2016, uh, July or January 2nd. Almost 500 people showed up to see us. It was fucking killer, dude. But there was tons of fucking weirdness. And there's all kinds of weirdness happening backstage. Just weird. The shows were always weird backstage. Just weirdness. And um, and fucking right after that, man, uh, basically Tim just dropped the bomb that, you know, it ran its course. It's 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 over. Well, what are we going to do with this record? Well, maybe we'll put it out one day. It's like, oh, shit. Okay. Well, one day, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just and the thing that really sucks is it broke Andy and Mark. Or, I'm sorry. Andy and Brad's heart. Uh huh. They had their hearts fucking just completely trumped because they got caught in between this thing between 
you know, the beards and me, you know, I call them the beards because it's yeah, easy, I, guys. I, yes. But yeah, the beards and, and, and me and that beef, whatever those guys had against me, just completely submarine the entire thing. And in the meantime, there's this amazing record. I'm really, t- I'm telling you, it's really good. Just sitting there. I got part of it on my phone. I don't know if it'll ever come out. Wow. Not sure. Would love to see it come out, but I'm not really going to tour behind it. We're not getting the band back together, you know. Not after all that. Well, you can never say Andy never, ever, but, Andy, but, you, yeah, but okay. Andy would want it either, dude. They, they Well, what they were trying to do, and this is the part I left out, what they were trying to do, again, and I understand this more later, is they were trying to find a way to get me to quit. If I would have quit, then they could have continued without me and not you had think? to. Oh, in their minds, they they even asked Andy about it, and he told him, you know, fuck off. He's like, no, I'm not fucking doing that. Craig's the reason why I'm in this band. I'm not, you know, I don't know you guys. I know him, right. Yeah, I don't really, uh, and it it was weird from the onset when he joined the band. So, But I say all this again, they're not bad guys. They just built up a wall. And for whatever reason, they believed it was right, you know. They're a couple Scorpios. I'm a Cancer. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know if that has anything Uh, to do with it. I'm not sure. You know. You know the the story about the scorpion and the frog, though. No, look it up. Okay, it's a, it's an old proverb. I know the tortoise tortoise in the air. If that has anything any bearing, similar. Okay, but nothing like it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, you know, talking about all this is like meh because it's so meh. But let me just say that when it was over. I knew I had a fucking fresh start that I've, I've, I've craved since man-made God was formed. You know, like it was the first time since all those years ago. How many years it had been now? It had been 19 since 2007 when Forbidden broke up when I started Man-Made God to now is the year is 2016. Or was it was 19. Something like that. No, 97. 97, I'm sorry. From 97 when Forbidden first broke up. <laughs> fucking years. And then... The kids being born in get between, old, kids kids being born in between all that. You know, I got my kid here, but uh, yeah. So that that nineteen years was there was a bunch of years, you know, it, where it was good, and then it was yeah, and then it was it. So I needed to really expound myself once again, dude. I had to find that fucking. I wanted to find the balance between the thrash energy that I was born with. And all of this new songwriting I could do that that I wasn't allowed to do in Spiral Arms. It was always like a, a governor. You, know, you had a governor you, on her. Yeah, huh? yeah. You put the fucking pedal yeah, all the way no, down. It's like, man, no, dies. not too fast. No, not too much yeah, this. No, governor. not too much that. So I was like, fuck that. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right? So I had to fucking find people to do it. And uh, so that was the birth of Dress the Dead and where we are now. And... I didn't have a fucking clue as to who was going to play music with me yet. I just knew who I wanted to sing. And I'd been talking to Peter Dalming on and off for a couple of years about, we should do a side project. Cause I just love Peter, dude. I love Peter. I love, yeah, the haunted and you know, just anything he does. Mary beats Jane. Just, he's a, he was a true artist and I was looking for a fearless artist type knowing that there's always a pendulum that swings both ways with that. But we uh we were talking about it, but I needed to put together a band, and I really I didn't even have the name yet. And the fucking funny thing about that name is, 
you know, people do all kinds of weird shit to come up with names, right? There, there's all kinds of methods. Sometimes you just luckily happen upon a fucking name. That one came to me in my sleep. It literally came to me in my fucking sleep, dude. I woke up like five in the morning. I remember it was like five on the button, and I and I nudged Alice, like I've got it. She's like, got what? My name of the band, huh? You know, she's like, huh? Okay, what is it? Dressed in that. She's all, oh, that's cool. <laughs> like it is cool because those are three things that I've never fucking. And then I just imagine like the I love ambiguity, 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 ambiguity. Let's say that again, ambiguity. I love ambiguity. So it was the kind of ambiguous name I was looking for where you could literally insert your own mental picture into it. You know, What year now? Where are we? We are in the beginning of 1916, 2016. 2016, in the beginning of 1916. Yeah, we're in World War One. Yeah, well, we, because we were in the 19s. That's yeah, why yeah, we say that. We're in World War One, and yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're fighting so against the, the Kaiser. 2016. Red Baron. Yep, yep. Yeah, the Red Baron, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so it's the very beginning of that year, and, you know, I I'll, I just started on a writing tear again, like I did when, when the Man Made God thing started. It just, all this shit started flowing, dude, and I still didn't have anyone to play with musically. So, you know, the... Uh, one of the first things that happened was, ironically, when Spiral Arms was about to fucking fold it up the, the tent and fucking take the circus away, I got a phone call from Mark, you know, um, Hernandez out of the blue saying, hey, man, can we have coffee? I really need to tell you something. Okay. Sure. You left me on my last tour. You left me standing at the altar. But I love you. What do you got to say? So we had coffee and... Basically, I had a feeling that it might have been part of this process. But what do they call it, the 13 steps? 12 step. 12 steps. You can have 13 if it takes that. But yeah, it was, I it was, think it is called the 12 step process. 12 step program. process. So he was, his, he was in this 12 step process, and one of the things he had to do was clear the air and make amends for mistakes, which is a fucking always a difficult thing, always a very manly thing to do if you really take it on the chin, and which he did, dude. He came in and we sat down and we talked, and he told me. You know, how much regret he had about what happened, about, you know, skipping on tours and just all he went through. And I and I I took that to heart. I said, well, you know what, dude, that's all you needed to say to me. You know, maybe there'll be something we could do in the future. And we left it at that. So, so you, right then you did not mention that you've got this band. And I said we might. I said I might be having something brand new coming up because I felt the fucking door was closing at, towards the end of 2015. This is like right towards the end of 2015. So then when it did happen, I, you know, after thinking about who I wanted to get together with, Mark was the first person I talked to. And besides Peter, who was like, find your guys, find your guys. He didn't know any of these guys. He's like, find your guys. We'll, you know, we'll do something. And uh, that's, that's kind of the, the beginning of the whole process was like, okay, if I've got this great fucking drummer that I know is going to understand me musically and, and my syncopation and the way that I fucking think, you know, I'm going to need to find all these other elements uh, to go along with it and that's when I thought you know not to go back to the well but the most creative people I knew were the ones I really wanted to fucking play with dude most adventurous creative people I knew Mark always wanted to play different stuff than just metal you know Dress the Dead is metal but Dress the Dead's also rock and Dress the Dead's just got kind of a it's a it's all you know it's whatever I fucking can do dude there's nobody to tell me anymore that I can't fucking do it 
It's the most amazing feeling to not have anyone to say, you shouldn't put those two things together because, fuck, that's, I've been dealing with that forever, dude. So that was uh, Jimmy Walker, who played with me in uh, Man Made God, was, like I was telling you earlier, he wrote the best bass lines that I'd ever fucking been associated with. They were always separate songs. If you remember Safe Passage, that whole, like, great stuff, dude. So he said he'd be into it. He didn't really know Mark, but he knew of Mark. They weren't really, you know, they didn't really know each other. They both thought they might be dicks. It was great. It was like this whole thing. Like they weren't sure if they knew. The, I, you know, I heard he's kind of a dick, and I heard he's got. They love each other. Those two got together, and they make one of the coolest rhythm sections that I've ever been able to play with. You know, just off their their chemistry. But and then you know we still hadn't had Peter out. And I was still looking for, dude, I tried out, I tried out guitar players. I only tried out one bass player other than James, but it was obviously James was the guy. And then, uh, <laughs> then I, I tried out probably about seven or eight different guitar players. I'd have them come to my house and sit down and work with, and I'd play them the riffs and, and you know, it's, it's, it just really matters what you put up against something, um, you just can't put anything up against anything and, and get the result you're looking for, you know. And most of the guys I tried out, it was, as soon as they started playing, it just made it sound like straight metal, you know. Like, I, well, nothing, do you think because you are you come from the, the background of Forbidden and that sort of thing that the guys you're getting are, are coming at you and they're, they're playing is more... Yeah, but they know I'm fucking... It's not that... It's not that they're playing because it's because they who they are, and it's not a problem. There's not. It's nothing to like judge anybody negatively for. Or, you know, there was no like bad vibes with any of these guys that came in. It was just like, I, it just made it sound like, you know, back to the nineteen hundred. You know, back to the nineteen hundreds. As soon as we, you know, started playing together, if I said, you know, can you come up with a melody on top of that, it would always be like, just dated. It would just be uh -huh. dated, dude. So that's when I thought of Dan Delay who I'd seen play with, of all uh, bands, I saw him play with, uh, what is Jakey e. Lee's Red Dragon Cartel? Red he Dragon he Cartel. opened up for the Red Dragon Cartel uh -huh. at the Rock Bar, and he just does, like, spacious reverbs and delays and just all this sweeping, cool, like, sound stuff. And I was like, I wonder what it would be like if that dude played something on top of this. And as soon as he came to my house and we sat down and worked, I'm like, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for something that would fucking put it in a different solar system and that was the beginning of the band and uh we did get together we announced we were a band peter had still never been there he'd sent me a couple fucking we'd made demos and he'd sent me stuff and it was pretty good it wasn't really refined yet it wasn't until i i approached rob flynn to check it out and um you know, what, what would you think about producing this? And he's all, who's your singer? I'm like, Peter Dolving. He's all, oh, fuck. He's like, fuck, dude. That guy's fucking great. He's all, but what's going to happen? He was the first guy to go, are you sure you want to put your eggs in that basket? And I said, fuck yeah, I do. You know, I did. I really did, dude. And I can fast forward to that year. We got the two Death Angel Christmas shows offered to us. So I'm like, all right, we're good. those are going to be our first shows. We're going to get Peter out here. We're going to fucking work on this demo with Rob. We Rob learned all the songs. He loved it, dude. Rob was like totally fucking into it. He was, and he has been. He still is to this day. He's been totally instrumental, dude. Rob has been great with us. Um, helpful, good producer, good ideas. 
Rob's got a great ear. Rob knows what he's doing. He he's does, dude. Successful because he doesn't know what he's doing, and he knows where I was coming from. Yeah. He understood he's where what I wanted back to do. In the day yeah, but dude, that was a different guitar player. He he when he worked with me when back you're in bros, the day. You're always bros, brother, and that's how I it could starts. barely play back then. So Rob um, agreed to, you know, produce the band, checked it out. Look at that, nice. So. He checked it out. He loved the fucking what he'd heard. He, he was, you know, a little skeptical over the idea of Peter because he just didn't know what Peter was going to do, which is fair enough. If you know his history, Peter will make a decision. I know the haunted and, guys. And, yeah, he'll walk out and, and say, "I've no, I'm done with this. And so, you know, we demoed some stuff with Rob, finished all the music, sent the music to Peter. Peter wrote a bunch of stuff and started sending stuff back to me. And uh, once... I started hearing it when, it when it was recorded properly. I was like, okay, this is going to be fucking amazing. And even Rob was like, okay, this is going to be good. So we have that Death Angel show, or those two Death Angel shows. So we get in. The, this is Christmas, 2016. 2016. Yeah, like two and a half years ago now. And uh, so we're, get, we're having them fly out. Uh, we get together. We, do, we immediately take them to the studio. We park him in a Winnebago in front of my house, by the way, because he couldn't be inside I, I knew, the house. I was, I, I was going to mention that. I was going to wait till you mentioned that, but yeah, well, I knew the, that. The reason why there's a Winnebago is because he was allergic to dogs. Oh. It wasn't for any other reason. We wanted him in the house, and he'd come in for like a, you know an hour at a time and have to take an antihistamine and fucking walk out. <clears throat> wow. But yeah, so you know he was great, dude. I mean, he was, in fact, the whole experience, the other guys never knew him except for like converses, conversing through you know, uh, emails and, 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 you know, Facebook. I mean, they really didn't know him. But once we all got in the room together, it was funny how fast they fell in love. Like, you fell, he's just very lovable. If you know Peter, he's like... I don't know him. I he's super him. sweet, dude. He's super sweet, and he's super deep and intelligent and raw, and he's going through a lot. He had a lot going on with his, with his kids and ex-wife and, you know, more family shit. So, but he came in and did some of the best performances of his life you know he actually wrote 1969 with me that was just him and i and he had it this this idea from the swedish guy this brilliant take on fucking not just america but the world you know repeating the same mistakes you know it ain't 1969 no more so why are we fighting the same goddamn war like he completely fucking came with an mc5 like boom you know it was like this is fucking rad, dude. And Rob was like, dude, this is fucking rad. Rob was so excited. We were all so excited. We played the two shows with Death Angel. They were pretty good, but we didn't rehearse a whole bunch before with him. So it was a little hit and miss. I mean, it's a fucking night of the first show. He's warming up back there, and so is James. And they turn, and James's headstock meets Peter's head. Hello, Peter's head. You know, it was a temple. Pow! The headstock of the bass. Is, he had a fucking concussion the first show. Oh, my. So he had that same concussion the next night, and uh, no one ever How knew. many shows did you guys actually play with Peter? Two. Those, so those were Those it. were the two. We finished the demo. Uh, Rob brought the mixes. He had them mixed and brought them to the show that night. All happened in a week, dude, like a week and a half. All this, and it was like, wow. It was truly, out of all the moments I've had, dude, it was one of the most incredible fucking experiences. The, the creativity, the excitement. I mean, it wasn't all perfect, but it was headed towards fucking greatness. You know, it really was looking good. And, you know, by the time he went home, he was excited, dude. Everyone's floating on a fucking cloud. 
this is crazy. So we're all just like, yes. And uh, we were making plans when he went home. And he had a he had big plans, a job that he was gonna you know do with a was a CBD oils or is that what CBD? It is? Yeah, he was gonna work with a medical company out there, and and that was the first thing that happened is uh, he was a couple months into it, he was about to to jump on a big ad campaign where he's you know be in charge of it, and then fucking the job fell through. So he was about to do this big job with this company, and it fell through, and fuck, it just fucked his head up, dude. And he had other things going on with his kids and it was becoming winter or no, it was winter in Denmark because he was living in Denmark at the time and just an onslaught. I could see like these. Wow. Are you going to be OK, Peter? Is everything all right? He's, oh, yeah, I'll be all right. And then we started talking about plans for like, OK, well, nuclear blast was interested. This label over here is interested. This label over here is interested. We're going to need to have you back and we're going to re-record some stuff. He's like, this all happened in one day. He goes, OK, not only that, can we book a, a venue for like say a week i said well not a venue but we'll like take soundwave and we were going to book soundwave for a week and have people come in every night and try these ideas out like a like a party we'd bring a keg in and have everyone there whoever shows up didn't matter there could be you know 20 people it could be 100 people wouldn't matter he just Uh wanted to work it out right so i was like all right so this is the, the conversation we had and then the next fucking morning i woke up and I fucking opened up my phone and there was a fucking statement from Peter saying how he almost took his life the night before. Oh my. And, and it's just all too heavy. Every, he got fucking super freaked out. He had anxiety attack times a thousand. And he said, I just can't do music anymore. He's all, it's, it will literally kill me. And to, to back it all up, there's a lot of physical ailments that he had. Hip replacement, spinal shit, you know, like things that were going on. He was like a, uh, you know, he's like a, a walking medical unit. You wow. Know? That's too and, bad. And we were just like, holy fuck. And then Rob calls me. He's like, hey, dude, did Peter just quit on Facebook? Because that's what I heard. Because he didn't have Facebook. Rob's not on Facebook. Right. Yeah. I'm all kind of trying to find out what the fuck's going on. But yeah, in so many fucking words, dude, he just... It was just too much for him. Now, to this day, do I think he, you know, there's no way to know how close he was to really killing himself. I, I don't, it's wrong to speculate anything. Sure. But he was fine. He was good enough to wake up the next morning. At least in. And put up a Facebook well, post about it. Well, it was good enough it, to wake up the next morning, actually. Which is important. Right. Because we all adore him. To this day, I adore him. Great. He helped set our bar this fucking high. And the problem with that was. Nobody was good enough. Nobody was good enough not to sing his shit, not to fucking come in from an you know, an, a, an explosive, creative, fucking great place like he did, you know. But he was older, dude. He was he was older than all of us. I I think he was the oldest dude when he walked through the door. So, you know, he's right around fifty at the time. And uh, but he was great. I'm fifty five. Yeah. Well, this is only a few no years physical ago. Physical ailments. Gym six days a week. AARP card just arrived. And I can though get. <laughs> I can go to Denny's and order off the senior menu though. Yeah, that's but, a big thing. But you can also kick the fuck out of everybody in Denny's too, and fucking scream at them and that's show them how it's done. So anyway, this all sounds crazy, and I know it does. This whole story of mine is is full of ups and downs and ebbs and flows. And any but music you have anyone, a great singer now. 
Well, let me get there because we tried out with many people sent me submissions trying to sing 1969 or trying to sing. Uh, that was the only song we, we had up there. We were only going to allow people to hear that uh -huh. one. Like if you can't sing that one, if you yeah. can't put that in the right rhythm, because it had some fucking funk to it, dude. And it was an inverted. That, that was the first song I wrote for the band. And it had a complete inverted beat, which freaked everyone out, including from the day I showed it to fucking Mark to the day that fucking everyone tried to learn it. It had this weird thing to it. Everyone had a hard time with it, including Peter when he sang it. He wrote a great melody that he hung on the wrong end of it. So we had to... It was like this thing. So if you couldn't like naturally get that, you weren't going to have a fucking chance to be in this band. We're not going to coach you on uh, how to fucking right, have right. like true fucking riddled you. You got to come in with it. You better be prepared. And you better bring it like right, MC5, right. dude, and be explosive. So we tried out people that were really, there's some really good singers. And there's no one that was bad. Some of the submissions weren't so good. Like, And I wouldn't play them. If they were bad, I wouldn't even play them for the guys. Uh -huh. So fast forward. Nine fucking months. Where we're we at now? We're in 2017. October, we're October of 2017. Mark is like ready to fucking go back into hiding. He's like, we can't find a singer. This is getting depressing. Um, we were about to uh, settle for a guy who was really good, but he, he was going to be having to be coached. And he, he was really good and really cool. Fucking love him. Um, but we're about to settle. And I was like, Mark was like, it's not special enough, man. And I'll never fucking forget, dude. And this is where the back to the magic of fucking the true magic of, of symmetry or whatever you call it. Serendipity, we'll call it this time. Serendipity. We're really going in the dictionary dude, on this one, guys. This is where fucking shit gets cool, okay? So I get a fucking text. Hi, my name is Kayla Dixon. I play in the band Witch Mountain. I've been checking you guys out for the last few months. I was wondering if you still have a chance for an audition. You got to be fucking kidding me. I saw her almost a year to the day, dude. And this is where you got to go backwards to go forwards. Almost a year to the day at the Metro with Witch Mountain opening up for uh, St. Vitus and the Skull, Eric Wagner's Skull. And... Like, when I walked in the door, dude, people were running over to me. Dude, you got to check out this singer, this chick, dude. She's like, you got to check. I'm like, all right, all right. So I'm like walking in, and I, I fucking look inside, and I turn around. Oh, well, she's this black girl up there singing. And then she's staring people fucking through them singing lines. And I'm like, oh, she's pretty intense. And then she fucking gets to me, dude, and like sings me a whole line and fucking looks me up and down and just fucking moves on to the next one. I'm like, She's going to be, a, I go, I had a water in my hand like this. Well, she's going to be a star. And I walked away because I was like, I had Peter Dolving. Right. I didn't care. Right. I was like, that girl's going to be a star. Maybe not in that band. Maybe in that band. Maybe not. I don't know. She's going to be a fucking bona fide 100% star. I just knew it. Never expected to get that fucking text from her, dude. Holy fuck. We've been looking. And then this girl approaches us. So I talked to her on the phone. Had a short, very short conversation that day. Uh, found out, you know, yeah, why were you holding on to this so long? Why why didn't you try it early? Well, I was really nervous because Peter Dolving is like somebody I really idolize and look up to, and I don't really know if I'm ready for the backlash of replacing Peter. I'm like, I don't think you got to worry about that. 
I think you just need to decide what you want to do. Let me send you some music. So I'd sent her some music that day. I'd sent her everything that Peter had done and the shit that Peter hadn't done, basically all the songs. Uh-huh. And then that night we had practice. And this is where it gets fucking, where I explain it to the guys. So that night we had practice. And uh, I was like really excited and nervous and like, holy shit, I never even anticipated having a girl singer. I wonder if this would even work. I got to tell the guys, I know Mark's, my guts tell me Mark's about to fucking quit. Everyone else has been sticking with it this whole time. We wrote a bunch of new songs, but we had no singer. Like, all this shit, dude. And I, I get into the room, and I first kind of explain a little bit to Dan without saying who, anything. Like, this could be something good. I'll explain it when everyone gets here. It's going to blow your mind. So when the, when the other guys get in, Mark will tell the story funny, too. He's Mark was like, yeah, I was I talked to James the whole way over and I was ready to fucking say this isn't working for me because we need something special and we're just not really finding our fit. And I go, before you say anything. I got something to tell you guys. And they're all, What's up? I'm like, well, I got a text and I told them the story of how I got this text. And it's just from the singer. That I saw a year ago that fucking blew my mind. They're all, oh, really? Well, yeah, completely out of left field. But here's the thing. It's a girl. They're like, whoa. And then all of them like are all, really? I'm like, yeah, dude. Blew my mind a year ago. But here's the thing. She's also black. They're like, whoa. And then I looked at them. They're all holding their hands up, dude. They all got goosebumps. Just because it was so different and just concept without knowing anything about the girl without knowing what her voice is without knowing is like craig's considering having a you know african-american girl singing and dressed to dead this is just a heavy thought for you you know sure it makes sense for us because we're all very open-minded people like you know open-hearted open-minded people but sure it doesn't make sense because who does that for this you know and um i'm all yeah there's more she's only 22 like what what dude come on forget about like this this is weird i'm like it might be but i i talked to her today i seen her a year ago she fucking blew my mind let's see what she does so two days later so we had a great practice that night everyone's like just thinking well this could be fucking exciting and new two days later dude she sent me music she sent me 1969 she wrote another song she sent me like parts of other things she worked on a bunch she recorded it all at home she has pro tools at her house she did the whole she did a whole bunch of work dude in two days sent it to me and i as soon as i put on 1969 i was like peter didn't know it but he wrote that song for her he wrote that song for her because it the gravitas destiny dude destiny having a uh, African-American girl with a true background in fucking racism and fucking think, rehashing old problems and her fucking fire in that dude was like, it was way more like Tina Turner fucking, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was like, whoa. And I, I immediately took it. I sent it to Rob. Didn't say anything. I'm going to check this out. Didn't say anything about who I, didn't tell him about her beforehand. Nothing. Five minutes later, I get a phone call. He's like, what the fuck? Did you just send me, dude? He's like, what? Who the fuck is this? What the fuck? So like, what's going on? He's like, it was like a shot. He was just blown away because it was that good, dude. It was like, there's good and then there's 
that I think good. the first time I saw her was the Killian on command thing. Right, which was a little alien for her at the moment because it was so weird. But she, you got to see her let it rip, dude. So, but she kind of let it rip a couple times there. But I don't think that you know whatever. But it was good. It was good. It was good. Was that you, the no, table? Just the table. Oh, okay. I am the table. The table. Oh god. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, yeah, Rob fucking immediately was like, we got to get this girl in the studio. We got to fucking, you know, he's like, I can't believe this voice, dude, this attitude. He's like, what the fuck? And so, this is the beginning of 2017 around this then. Is, this is, uh, no, this is the ending of 2017. Oh, ending, because that, the gig was in 2018. The very beginning did. of 2018. Yes. So she, she in October, we heard from her. We had her out there in the beginning of November. Uh, we had her re-sing stuff and sing her own stuff and her the shit she was writing there, there goes the sun which is another song up there was the first thing that she wrote uh by herself i mean i helped her a little bit i don't have to help her too much dude here's this girl's got an old soul she's got history at her young age back then i learned very quickly that her story was as good as anybody back then she's 23 now, 24. 24 now. Wow. Yeah, she Boy, just she's turned, up there, huh? She just, she just turned 24. I have a 29-year-old son. But her, but her history, dude, is great. Like, you know, um, you know, she moved out to fucking Portland on a whim, living by D.C., to be to join that band, Witch Mountain. You know, just sight on... I mean, she heard the old singer. They had a female singer before who was pretty good. But she just took a fucking leap and did it. You know, that's how she is. And she also does theater. She also does movies. Wow. She's done TV. Good. She's like super fucking into all these other, uh, you know, elements of entertainment. And, you know, that sounds like, okay, well, then what's, what's her priority? Well, what her priority is, is fucking being the greatest fucking at everything she does, dude. And she is fucking fantastic. So, you know, the, the first writing session we had with her, uh, I re- realized very quickly that she's like an old soul. I sat down with her and, you know, what do you got? And she had all this deep, deep stories, dude. And like, I'm like, mm, mm, mm. Like, this just keeps getting better. And then we brought her in the studio. And, and Rob was, oh, when, I didn't tell you about when she tried out for us. That's right. I skipped that moment because we got so excited about it. So we had her come out a couple days after that. She sent us that stuff. And, um, you know, she, it was like a little weird because we're like, we don't know what she's thinking. She doesn't know what we're thinking. She's nervous. We're nervous. One of those things like where there's so much respect between all parties that it wasn't really. It, it, it was it was comfortable, but we were nervous. Everyone was nervous because oh, you know, she's a youngster. She's a woman. She doesn't want to fuck this up. She doesn't want to fuck this. up. We don't want to fuck up our fucking right. chance for this sure. great talent. So you know, collective. walking through the door. It's collective. Yeah. It was respect, dude. It was a collective respect, and just, but it was an insane chemistry, dude. The first time she sang, we did Promises and Kisses, which is a little bit more dynamic of a song. And just the way she sang it was like goosebumps again. Immediately, all of us just looked at each other, and we played better than we ever played. Just made us play better. And then fucking we did 1969, and it was just, it was over, dude. Because she's like telling the sermon. It's it's That song is going to mean, as much as it, it's gotten out there. It's like it's about 150,000 plays right now on YouTube on that one. And um, that's pretty good for an unsigned band, you know. And as much as it's out there, dude, when next, I, I feel very strongly that that song's going to resonate 
in the 2020 elections. Like that song will mean more a year from now than it could ever mean. Where are you guys at with um 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 de- with the record deal right now with Trust the Dead? We're doing our thing, man. You are so We're doing so our thing. Nothing, nothing, and, and no, there's so, something going on. So um, okay, so going the, on. The, the, but, I, but, I, but I'm. I'm bound to secrecy right now, uh, but we'll we'll, we'll okay. Get... So let me let me be let me be facetious. Dress the dead record in probably 2020. It is happening. You were putting it out in 2020. Okay, before That's the second before the second half drops. That's all I want to yeah. know. and we're we're in the process of finishing that up, and you know a couple of loose ends of business, but we're we're just about there. And I, I can't talk about it. And I I, there's certain things I can't talk about, but we're gonna do things our way. Okay. And our way is good, because I just well Frank Sinatra said it the best, right? He'll do it our way, but you know after what we've my been through, dude. After what we've all been through in this business, right? Well, like, it's a do you really want to fucking shove the square peg into the round hole? Well, again, if you, like, you've been through it enough, you should know how to do it by now, right? So, or at least know what you want. Not and only if what you, you can't want, do it on that, you know. And I guess I don't know if I want to do it. You know what I mean? I just I'm want not to do it compromise. all for the right reasons now, too. Right. I'm not after the same things I was before. I'm not really, you know, to make it or any of that stuff. It's like if something's really good, it it just sells itself, dude. And well, I agree with anything. Yeah, like that. that's that's the truth. So that's where we're at, and you know, uh, we'd recorded, you know, five songs. We've finished five songs in the studio with her already and we have more stuff to finish up is there anywhere where we they can go get dressed to dead if they haven't heard it right now and well, there's I mean, a lot yeah. of people that still don't know that you're doing this is you know this is the band i mean there's this still it, people man. out this there is, that are watching is, this, is the coolest this that may not have known this part of the story that you know you're doing dressed to dead yeah. you know but well i mean you know we have our music for now we're not putting it up for download anywhere you can watch the video we have like a couple lyric videos Couple alerts. So two, and, and, two and 1969 videos. video. The actual video. There's a video. Is, so is up maybe on YouTube. three songs. We worth. have our YouTube channel. You know, okay. the Dead YouTube channel. We have, Dead YouTube channel. We have the the Facebook page. We have the Instagram page. We have a website, dressedthedead.com. I mean, we're simple, cool. easy to find, easy to find, but not over pushing ourselves because I don't think it's really that smart to, you know, like. Like I said, it's kind of selling itself right now, dude. Like, when when we'll drop an good, album. If it's good, it's good. Yeah, if it's good, it's good. And when, you know, even that Death Angels show we did a couple weeks ago. Fucking great. Like, what a great reaction. Good response. Great, That's awesome. Dude. Great. The band's gotten so much more on fire. Uh, you know, we... Every so show now we, you've been a full dude, unit we're, now. We're, you know, we're now in... Um, we're now in June of 2019. You've been a full unit with Kayla for how long? About a year and yeah, a half. A, now. a year and a half now. Year and a half now, and yeah. all the writing and everything is going great. Everybody's pleased, right? Everybody's pleased. Good. And and, and, and and you feel this is what you wanted all the other projects to be internally, but you're feeling it on this one because everybody's on the same page and everybody's excited about doing this, and it's fresh and it's heavy, and nobody's holding you back. So you have all of these things that were maybe limitations to you in the past and and this is now your freedom to if you want to do something funky you can if you want to do something more heavy you can and there's nobody saying hey I can we do need something to go funky like this. heavy as fuck yeah and no, that's just that's that's yeah. my example to that yeah exactly beauty it's got all the all the all the elements i've always been after dude if i if if and I, I said at the very beginning of all these this has been like we're coming up on like five hours of fucking talking here dude and at the Long, we're gonna have some episodes here for all you guys so just it's gonna be a week of <laughs> The history with Craig, the 
part the sequels. Well, the Godfather Part Two was longer than the Godfather, so and Part, so I think, and part Three should have never happened. So, well, <laughs> so let's okay. Well, let's let's cut this. Let's make part sure two and a half. No, hey man. Uh, it, it, I'm glad it, you could come in and talk. And believe me, the fans, like I said, when we started this on the second part, the comments that we got were just absolutely amazing. The, the, the off stories and telling you why and actually the feelings and watching your face and the emotion, it's just, you know, it, it's more real. And I think that that's really what people are looking for, you know, and they want to hear it. And I, I'm glad you can do it. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Well, I mean, if I could sum it up, and which is really hard to sum up, I think... I think if anyone watched all this, and maybe there's going to be a select few that make it. There all will the be. Way, there will make be. it all the way to the end. There will be. That's just, okay. Just, it'll always. It'll be there forever, which is the greatest thing. And in two years from now, somebody will go back and go, "Oh my God, look at this interview that Zed did with Craig." You know what I mean? So that's what's good about YouTube, and, and it's always there. Well, I think the thing that I I, I I want to make really clear is that two things really. One is I really don't hold resentments. Uh, and that's a big part of who I am. There, there are reasons things happen, and it may be in the moment, but I, I kind of let all that shit go. And so there's no real, for me personally, no real hard feelings towards anybody I talked to, to or about or whatever the part of the story. Everyone's got their reasons, man. And that's the reason why I'm not jaded because a lot of people we know, Zet, they tend to get very discouraged and like the the hands go up and the fuck it happens way earlier do you understand i try to tell people that the the biggest question i get from everybody and the answer i give them every time Seto, what, what what's your advice uh, of a new band coming up and I, uh, da, 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 da. number one don't go at it to be a rock star go at music for having fun and play music because you love the music because if it doesn't happen to go and you don't get all those accolades you may be jaded. You may go, you know what? I, I loved music and I tried it and it didn't work for me. So fuck that. I don't even listen to that shit no more. And I agree with, with that. How 100%. many people we know that are kind of, that, yeah. that have come to that point. Sure. And, and the reason why I didn't is because I, I knew there was will. something there for me, dude. I, I always, you know, I stuck it out and maybe I went down the wrong road for a while or whatever, but really it's not the wrong road because you fucking learn. As long as you learn. It's a learning. I agree. But I'll say this. Kayla Dixon changes everything. And her with this with this group of guys, it's been just a fucking epiphany, dude. And she's truly a rare talent, a game changer, uh, a fucking really sweet person, a really right. tough person. I've met her a few times. I don't know her, but I've got to talk to her yeah, briefly. Yeah, man. She's a intense, few times. dude. She, That's you know, awesome. She'll, and she'll, she doesn't... Uh, she doesn't come with with any sm small amount of fucking gravitas, dude. She's got bigger balls than a lot nice. of the guys I know. Nice. So I mean, it's just it's just the beginning, and I'm really really looking forward to. Uh, you, you'll hear some things in about a couple months. We'll drop cool. the news of what we're gonna do. Well, all these guys are looking forward once again. You've come in and just gave this okay, amazing. For, thank you thank for having you. me, dude. Thank and, and believe me, we'll come back and we'll find other subjects that we didn't talk about. I want to interview you. Yeah, we'll do that. We can. I want to interview you. Know this what? Guy. We do everything. I got. I got, I got questions so, for you. Do man. you? There's the producer right there. Get together with him, and I'm not opposed to that Pencil either. That in. will make a great, a great episode. All you guys, you've been leaving me comments on all of, all of his stuff. Show me more love on that, and obviously. Subscribe to Zetro's Toxic Vault. Craig, once again, brother, I love you. Thank, Thank you, you for coming you in. Whoa, hey. Um, Hot that's mic. all right. We, we've got him coming in. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Later, everybody.